Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 360 of the No Encore Music Podcast. 360 degrees, I guess. I don't know what that means. Who knows what it means? Um, we're back. A uh, couple of episodes off. There was, of course, there is, of course, an episode on Tar, the motion picture Tar. There's a no popcorn out now in your feed. If you missed that somehow, please go back and listen to it. It's really, really good. I was joined by Jen Gannon and Michael Pope, and I had a very, very good time recording the episode. At least I hope I did. Um, why do I sound flustered? Well, folks, it's because it's a brand new era for the show. Um, it is kind of, you know, entering into a new season, I guess, of No Encore, a new chapter for the show. Uh, Sonic Architect Adam is here, of course. Hello, everybody. Uh, wonderful, as always. Well, I, like, I try. <laughs> I do try. You succeed, I, I, I would say. I would say. Thank you very much. Likewise. I forgot that you had a microphone there because we recorded an episode already on top of this for another time. A little um, stacking. But you, but you didn't have a microphone for that one. So. I did not. No, I felt I had nothing to offer there. And you'll hear how little <laughs> I have to offer next week, everybody. I don't know about that now. That's a bit that's a bit harsh on yourself. Um, I guess, yeah, so like going forward, the plan with the show is to kind of have different co-hosts every now and then. That's the story. Um, and we're going to try and rock in with that one on this week's episode to kind of kick us off. Uh, I should note at this point that uh, we had kind of previously planned to have, you know, big dramatic farewell episodes with Craig, uh, former co-host of the show, However, that hasn't actually worked out as planned. And um, I just want to say a huge thanks to Craig for all the years of hard work that we did on the show together. The good times, of which there were many. 
it's been fucking seven years, which is a long time to do a show. And I simply couldn't have done the show without the various people who have been involved over the years, whether it is kind of, you know, guest host interviews, you, of course, Adam, um, and Craig and Cullum, who were there from the offset, you know, like Dahi as well coming on board. I mean, like Eve Murray back in the day. I was just about to say, lest we forget, former, my predecessor. No, we could never forget Eve. She's the best. Um, but it, yeah, like it's 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 just weird. Like, I mean, like like it feels like a like a, like, like a band, you know, like, like, you know, when you go on Wikipedia, you see all those kind of names that aren't there anymore. Former members and such. But um, yeah, it's been a bit of a family, I think, really. But uh, I'm still here, essentially. But um, yeah, so basically like that is, like I say, we, you know, that we had kind of planned to have a bit of a kind of a, you know, kind of a prolonged farewell with regards to Craig, but uh, we are moving in a different direction. So it is time to move forward with the show and with regards to the show this week. Um, it's going to be an interesting one because like, I think <laughs> to look at this top five, it looks like, well, Dave picked that one. Of course, Dave picked that one. It's morbid as fuck. You know, he gets to be all emotional again. But I didn't pick it. I'll tell you who picked it. I'll tell you what his name was, you know? And and still is. And still is. There <laughs> he is in the background. Uh, returning to the show, uh, it's your friend and mine. The one, the only Mark Conroy. Uh, Mark was previously on the show, of course, for top five action movie scores, which was a really kind of, uh, you know, it's a balletic blast of audio. And now you're going to bring the room down, my friend. With your top five selection, which everyone everyone can see it, it's in the episode title. Top five songs for the dead. Call it what you want. Top five elegies. Top five songs written about dead people. I mean, um, rescue this, would you? <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on. Um, long time listener, second time co-host. Yay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Every bitch. time you're on the podcast now, you're going to have to keep track. You're oh, going to have to keep gosh. a tally. He also brought me this, so there we go. Yeah. A nice can of beer. Nice can of beer. Um, yeah, uh, why did I pick this? Uh, I think it was a... I thought. I, well, the last one was just so euphoric and such kind of the, the epitome of good feeling music that makes you pumped up. So I thought, why not have the exact polar opposite of that in every way, a music about people who have died? Um, but I think it, it, it it's... it's uh, it's a kind. Of, it sounds grim, but it also has a kind of a possibility for a lot of interesting. You ask them to do something like that, and you get you learn a lot about them when they from their what they reveal and what the kind of stuff that they react to is. I guess. Um. Um. I was a. Yeah. I guess I was kind of insistent. It was one of the ones I picked. So uh, I'm sorry to bring it all down for this <laughs> new era. <laughs> you were. Yeah. You were insistent because I. Uh, you know, to be fair, you know, it was a tight turnaround this week in terms of getting this across line. I do appreciate you being here, but um, I thought we were going to do something more in the movie vein. And then you were like, no, Dave, I'm doing songs about dead people or nothing. Why have you been so insistent about this? Was I that insistent? No, not quite. <laughs> I'm exaggerating for comic effect. But uh, I think on paper it looks grim, but it hopefully won't be grim. I think, I think it, it can be... It, it, yeah, it won't be grim. It, 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 I think something can obviously be sad and also be rewarding, obviously. Like sad, a lot of sad music is and a lot of sad music lists hopefully can be too. Um, and, you know, uh, if you're somebody going through something and it can be rewarding for those people. But I don't think it's a... It won't be grim. It won't be sad. It'll be... 
you know, fulfilling maybe to a certain extent. I don't know. I can't Cathartic. really speak to it. That's the word. This is also, this. yeah, my throat was going through something there, sort of <laughs> making weird gurgling noises. So if they got picked up on, on mic, you know. That's what I'm here for, they won't be there in the edit. Oh, I no, just, I want you to enhance them. <laughs> I just All right, like, dope 10 dB. I just seem like always Dave is ratching at something I was about to say. So um, <laughs> No, that's, that's, that's not, we're actually really good friends, guys. Like, like it's, it, it's fine. Um, and if you want to be a really good friend of the show, and many people have been, and we do appreciate it massively, it's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support this independent project as it enters into a brand new era. But right now we're going to enter into something else. The news section. Start spreading the news. Wonderful live sonic architecting happening in the studio there from Adam. Uh, right, that is, of course, the news sting. It is time to talk about the news and music. So we've been off for a couple of weeks, so I've missed a couple of things, and I want to start with the most important thing of all. Ed Sheeran has said that critics aren't important. That's not quite what he said. But he did say he doesn't see the point in music critics. So I guess we can scratch him off the Patreon list, unfortunately. Uh, He did an interview with Rolling Stone recently. It was kind of a big eye-opening one. There was a moment where he talked about, you know, somebody said like, oh, you write these like sex songs for boring people. Or that's people say on Twitter about you anyway. And he was like, 150 million boring people. (laughs) Just like, okay, Ed. Um... But there was some kind of, I guess, cutting room floor quotes that Rolling Stone released after the interview, including this one. So he basically said, why do you need to read a review? Listen to it. It's freely available. Make up your own mind. I would never read an album review and go, I'm not going to listen to that now. So I think, look, I think he's got a point, but I think it was just a little bit too, in as much as, you know, a review is there to accentuate something, in my opinion. It, and, 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 and in my opinion, even if, for example, I'm like, I fucking hate that Lord album, I'm not saying don't go listen to it. It's up to, yeah, That's entirely up to you. I agree with that. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I get, there's always one of these every so often, but, you know, I'm with Charlie XCX, remember she had a big thing on Twitter and she was like, they don't build statues of critics and everyone responded with pictures of Roger Ebert, which they did. <laughs> and I, I, I understand, like, there's, I, I, part of me thinks I, is, I, People like I share and think it's like to go after music critics is like a thing of like going after like the purity of art. I think it's somewhat anti-art sometimes when it's like, because usually people who really engage with art often do read a lot of critics and enjoy what they're saying. And obviously the point of criticism isn't to crit, it's to add to the conversation always. Really good critics. There's bad critics, like there's bad artists. Of course there are. And in fairness, if you were a musician, you probably have to deal with reading bad reviews. Not necessarily as in like just, but badly written reviews. So that would taint it. But I just, I always just find it really... Yeah, especially when massively multi-million selling art, multi-millions of sell- artists who sell millions of records going on after critics in this way, I just find it so, I don't know, it's punching down to a certain extent and I, I don't know, I find it a bit exhausting. And again, it, good criticism adds to the conversation. It's, it, it delves into music more so than you know, your average listener usually and hopefully. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, like I said on Twitter, I was like, look, this is such low-hanging fruit that, you know, I probably shouldn't even bother. But, and I said, you know, it's obviously not surprising that an Ed Sheeran who doesn't get rave reviews would feel this way. But I thought the really revealing thing was, oh, fuck, you just view music exclusively as commodity. It's it's just about units for you. It's about streaming numbers. That's more important. Like the commerciality, I'm like, fine, it's Ed Sheeran, but like... Uh, just kind of betrayed himself. I thought it was like I don't like. I'm sure. I'm sure he does love music. I'm sure he, you know, he he appreciates and has a passion for the construction of the song and playing them live. But I really, but I really was like, oh, this is a businessman talking. More importantly than anything else, I think 
that might have been a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing, just like knowing Ed Sheeran and his personality, but also at the same time, um, I, there's, I think the dismissal of it is kind of, like Mark said, it's anti-art and I don't think that that's how we as a society you should, you know, <laughs> we should be. But like, I also don't think that critic, like critical, like critical writing and stuff like that. I don't think that's necessarily for the artist. It's not for them to consume. I think it's more for, you know, the consumer themselves to in like ingest that information to then be able to make their own decisions on when, whether they think it's worth following or not based on a taste profile of someone that they may be, align themselves with. Yeah, and look, I am a music critic, so obviously what side am I going to take? It's pretty obvious, and I don't adore Ed Sheeran's work or anything. I think the debate is there to be had. I think, as Mark says, there is there are bad faith critics, of course. There, there are people who aren't good at criticism. And sometimes, you know, lines are blurred, and ultimately, you know, it can just be, you know, to use the phrase you just used as well, I mean, critics can punch down as well. And I'm sure I'm, I've been guilty of it myself, and I try not to be, but, you know, I think the, this dismissal of criticism... It's one thing to dismiss criticism, you know, and just be completely fucking wrong about that, but also to champion, like, you know, just like, look at all this entertainment. Let's just, let's just fucking consume it. That sucks. You know, that's not fun for anybody. Yeah, like, I, exactly. Like, it, it's, it, it, you need to, someone to be discerning and that's what critics do. But what I also find interesting about is that when he's complaining about critics there is that he talked about when someone says a bad review, I don't not listen to that album. He can only see only. I understand because he probably gets a lot of bad reviews, and he's a massive artist, so that maybe colors his view. Like, and I would get that, even if you were, it would be tough to, to get those. But at the same time, it's like he only can see it in that prism. He can't see it the fact that there are a lot of critics who give good reviews and you champion a lot of art. And you know, we both love film and cinema. Like, critics are so important. You know, at, at a festival level, to for their film to get buzz, for their film to get, you know. Uh, attention and it gets sold to like a, an A24 or whatever. That's such an essential part of the process now. Like that, critics are an important part of that of that of that process. Like he ha- he just seems to only see it as like they just oh, they're just out to complain about you know the art as opposed to you know champion what's good as well, which is fifty fifty part of the job as well. And also like there's a le- level as well of kind of misunderstanding as well where like the role of the critic and like even the functionality thereof like it's not what it was. You know it's. There aren't that many critics who get paid a full-time wage in the world anymore, if there even are. And a lot of critics who actually venture into that world and try and get good at it are largely doing it for free or, you know, like getting paid fuck all or, you know, might not even fully be able to grasp, you know, like like it's it's supplemental. Like, you know, it's not, you're in rarefied air if you get to be like the fucking lead film critic for the Irish Times or something. Like those jobs don't fall off trees and you have to wonder in the future will they even exist. So it's actually quite threatened industry it's quite a threatened thing um and also again like you go see a film with your mates you go listen to a song and share it with them or whatever and you have a conversation about it that's criticism baby Mm. and also you can disagree with a critic and that's also criticism so it's not a thing it's conversation like that's all it is is conversation do you know who disagrees with critics the most other critics yeah yeah true well someone who disagreed with ed sheeran was jay-z because he uh yeah this is also in the supplementary material of this rolling stone interview (laughs) He passed, respectfully passed, on featuring on Shape of You, which I find very funny because, as we all know, Jay-Z's feature history is questionable, to say the least. So that song came out in 2017. It was fucking massive. I think he wrote it for Rihanna originally. 
Ed Sheeran told Rolling Stone that Jay-Z was, quote, or sorry, that he was in touch with Jay-Z about a collaboration, but it was turned down. I sent him the song. He said, I don't think the song needs a rap verse. He was probably right. He's got a very, very good ear. He usually gets things right. It was a very natural, respectful pass. He was right. The song didn't need a rap verse. No. But Stormzy did come in because he's Ed Sheeran's friend <coughs> and threw a nice 16 or 32 down on it and it was fine. Like, to be fair, I did find the most interesting part of that song to be Stormzy's verse, which admittedly was still not very good. Is that a remix version of it? Yeah, it is. Like, yeah. uh, But at, my God, like that's such, it's such a milk toast song, isn't it? Massive though. Absolutely massive. I Huge. Just, harmless it's, song, a, so it's so harmless inoffensive to the highest degree I don't, just not for me at all well look on the whole critics debate like the thing is musicians can also be critics of themselves mm. so I saw this today uh, former Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist Josh Klinghoffer has claimed that the band were quote doing cooler music when he was in the lineup of course he was turfed dead after a 10 year stint in the band for the returning John Frusciante now in fairness it's hard to argue against hey guys John Frusciante wants to come back you got to imagine that there was some kind of handshake deal in there at the beginning of all this. You know, if one day our prodigal son returns. But uh, he was turfed out. And I think he's remained friends with them and such. But he did a, you know, he was on a podcast there. He said that, he said, I don't think I finished listening to the second album that they released last year. I didn't listen to any of it. So, like, let alone fucking finish it. I was trying to cram it in before leaving on a plane. And I got as far as maybe the ninth song. And I don't think I listen to the rest. Uh, it's tough listening to their new music because honestly, I think we were doing cooler music together, I guess. I never want to send negative about anyone doing music, but I was shocked when I heard their new record. That's pretty good. I like that one. Did you fuck with either of those Chili Pepper albums last year? Well, I'm not, I've never been a massive Chili Peppers fan. Um, I, I only really liked like like I even like their acclaimed albums and not, but I, I think they have lots of songs I enjoy and I enjoy listening to. But I definitely didn't touch those ones. Now, they, yeah, they released two in the same year. Two, was, yeah, yeah we, two we, we reviewed one on the show, and I was like, "This is just mind blowingly bad." What was the name of the the, the, not the guitarist again? The not not Fashanti. the guy who left. Yeah, Josh Klinghoffer. Yeah. I love that you make him sound like an interim manager as well. Like there was like a deal going in the back, and like you know, it's gonna he's gonna come back and ten years uh, though, <laughs> a decade yeah, I mean, <laughs> of your life in Red Hot Peppers, and then being like, see ya. Like it's weird. He's probably right, um, but he's also right for the wrong reasons. I'm assuming it, it's, you, all you can read is like bitter. I mean, I completely understand it. Like yeah, you're um, gonna be, aren't you? Yeah, like, he's yeah. gonna be bitter, and yeah. yeah, and and I that did he ever know? Like you know. I feel like he probably didn't. He probably thought Frusciante, that was the whole thing. He, they thought he would never come back. So it, it seemed like he wouldn't, but you know, then it was this glorious reunion and look at all the great stuff it's given us since. Do you think Right for the Wrong Reason sounds like a Robin Thicke song? <laughs> sounds like, sounds like it's kind of whole yeah, MO, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, wrong for the wrong, wrong reason. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Keanu Reeves, uh, Adam and I were talking off mic about the John Wick series. Yes, yeah, so I went on a binge You've seen the first three. I have, and I have not seen four because I'm recently out of COVID jail. Yeah, congratulations on, Thank uh, you very much. on, on scaling those walls once again. <laughs> Mark, you've seen the first three John Wicks. And I also was recently out of COVID jail. Congratulations well. to you yeah. on scaling the walls of COVID again. <laughs> uh, John Wick franchise, what, what, what do we think? Uh, right, I think it's an overrated franchise with some good stuff in it. Uh, I just, I don't like all the, I mean, okay. The lore. The lore, and I don't always like some of the action scenes with all the CGI blood squibs. And I think sometimes it looks a bit silly when Keanu Reeves went around with the gun and it, and like he's flying over windows and two windows and over things. And like he's surrounded by 30 men. 
I know like this, you know, the choreography in action films, you always have to pinch of salt. They're going to have to accept that. Or, you know, the raid movies we love. And there's an element of that too. Like sometimes you're like, you know, they'll go, the guy's waiting. But, but I do think, uh, like the second one I think is good. Uh, is the best one still. Um, but the action in some of them, I don't love. I would agree I, that the second one is the best yeah, one. The I hate. Uh, I wouldn't agree with Adam giving the very first one two and a half out of five. Solid middle of the road one for me, Dave. And Extraction with Chris Hemsworth is five Five star, star flick. <laughs> I'll d- I will die on that hill. Apparently. And listen, Extraction 2 trailer, everybody who's interested, is out now. Throw it into YouTube. It looks very exciting. It looks like The Raid 2. At least it's trying. There's a bit. The, the tra- Particularly because it's prison based, right? Yeah, yeah. The trailer had. There's <laughs> yeah. a scene that they've just taken from the raid. It too. really yeah. looks like that, yeah. Go watch the raid films, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I like the John Wick films. I am exhausted by them at this point. And I kind of, you know, for me, it's uh, four stars, 4.5, 3.5, 3. 3.5. Let's stop making these, please. But it makes so much money. Anyway, why am I talking about all this? Because while promoting John Wick 4, Gana Reeves was doing the interview rounds with lots of people, including Enemy. And he revealed um, his one of his favorite bands, Always or Always, the Canadian band. He's Canadian as well. They have like the that SEO thing with the two Vs. Yeah, yeah. Is that good? I don't know. I feel like it's kind of it's kind of stopped now. It was a big thing in like the 2010s, and then like churches as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, good on them because uh, you know they're a great band. Well, like, the last album's great. I think their first two albums are pretty good. Blue um, Rev is their most recent album, which is excellent, yeah. and he has it, but not quite. Let's have a listen to a clip. I was uh, reading your Reddit AMA. Oh, okay. And you're talking about music. What is your favorite album at the moment? Got some new LPs, but I, I don't know what you, my favorite was. You were chatting about Always. Yeah, I don't have their new record. I bought it digitally, but I don't have it on vinyl. So it's your favorite album to be, maybe. Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I love that band. So, yeah. What, what is it about them that you love? I like me a good pop song, and I like me a kind of inventiveness in it. And I think the lead singer, she's great, and the textures of it. I mean, I love bass, guitar, and drums, and I like their energy. Always send Keanu Reeves your new album. I have it digitally, but I got to get it on LP. <laughs> So yeah, um, as he says there in that clip, speaking to Enemy, he says, you know, he didn't, he doesn't have a physical copy. He bought it digitally, but I don't have it on vinyl. Now I have to assume that since then they have been smart enough to get his details and send him a vinyl. But um, what, what? I wonder what platform he bought it on. Like the idea of Keanu Reeves sitting down, you know, and like getting his credit card out and buying an album online. I feel like a lot of celebrities are like that. Like they, they just like so used to like, spending money on stuff that they don't even bother having like Spotify or any streaming services so they still just like go on to probably iTunes that's my guess I don't know why I was surprised by this because mm. I'm like this man is worth millions and millions and he's very mean. and he's very charitable he's famously quite charitable so it's like I was kind of like good on you Keanu but I'm like no he should be buying like 50,000 copies of this album shouldn't he am I right in saying he's a bit of a vinyl collector well, apparently not. Uh, no, but like a ge- as a general rule, I could be licking this off the streets. I have no idea where I'm getting this information from. But I have a feeling he is a bit of a vinyl aficionado. Could be completely wrong here. I will fact check myself. I hope he is. He's so cool that I have to imagine he has a very cool setup. And, he, you know, again, he can afford it. So, Keanu, come on, step it up. I, I want to know, Mark, What do you think that his description here, right? So his description of, of why he likes the band always... Oh, does this pass the music critic test or is this a bit, you know, high school yearbook? He said, uh, I like me a good pop song and I like me a kind of inventiveness in it. And I think the lead singer, she's great. And I love the textures in it. I mean, I love bass guitar and drums and I like their energy. 
I I don't fault anything he's saying there, but it's kind of like somebody. It's like I'm an infant describing it. Like just the. I like this about it. Like you know when like you're writing like your first day of school thing about it, which I can't fault. He's talking in an interview. He's not like trying to be like loquacious and you know articulate. He's just talking uh, offhand. Yeah. yeah, he's right. I mean, yeah, it's, they do make a good pop song and they add textures to it. That's pretty much what they do. Um, they don't reinvent the wheel, and that their I their last album did that really well. Um, I have a picture with Molly Rankin. Uh, hover handing somewhere on my old, two phones ago and I'm so curious and it's before they released any album you're hover handing her or she's hover handing you I'm hover handing her yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I and I want to find it just reminded of this because I hate the hover hand yeah. I hover handed Roshi and Murphy before oh god because it's just like I don't know what to do it like like take a photo yeah there's there's my hand hovering over her shoulder you know respectful you're like oh yeah. I'm gonna touch this person yeah she had her arm around me and I was yeah. like I don't know what to do <laughs> it could be a good COVID holdover as well you know maybe yeah. COVID holdover sounds like a wrestling move giving <laughs> <laughs> you inspired not not a Robin Thicke song a wrestling move he hit him oh he's got the two lines he's hit him with the COVID holdover so listen speaking of movies right and pop music and such. Dua Lipa is on board with a, a brand new film that definitely won't be annoying. It's definitely not going to suck. It's going to be great, right? It's Barbie, everybody. Dua Lipa will make her acting debut in Barbie, directed by Greta Gerwig and written by Noah Baumbach. Is that right? Written yeah, with? Co-written, yeah. Co-written. So, yeah, listen, um, if you've been online at all this week, you'll have seen a deluge um, of posters for this this, this Barbie thing. Um, there was a new trailer. Um what do you think about it all, Mark? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think I'm like, so I love Greta Gerwig. I think the two films that she made are fantastic. I When this was announced, I was like, I don't know about this. And then the trailer, I think, could be interesting. The thing about it, people being so excited about it, and I understand why, and it, and you said that, that thing about the, the poster and it being then, of course, it was like relentlessly reused for everyone's, it worked flawlessly for the, for the for the marketing campaign. A lot of people have done a lot of free marketing for this film yeah. quite quite diligently this week by, by, by doing their own Barbie posters. And yeah. I will say as well on that, can I just say, if I see another one of these, I'm going to fucking scream. But you continue, I'll, I'll get to that rant in a moment. So like, I, I wouldn't, like, I, I will see the film and think it could be good. Uh, I think people are basing their excitement on it on a kind of whatever imagined version of the film they want it to be because mm-hmm. we have no idea what it's going to be but it looks like a weird like it's referencing like Umbrella's, Umbrella's Sherberg kind of also kind of being kind of Truman Show-esque Barbie escapes into the real world movie that's maybe what it's about but like also like, that tells you nothing so I mean it looks really pretty and looks interesting and I think Greta Gerwig is a great director and Noel Baumbach is a great filmmaker so that suggests that they make a great film not everything they've made together is great though so I don't know I'm but I, I do also kind of think like this this level of hype over it is like, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's an imagined film that like, how will it live up to this hype? Or will it, the hype is so great that people will just decide whatever it is is great when it comes out. That's, That's exactly it. Yeah. It's the new cocaine bear. You know, it's the new, it's a meme, everybody. And we're all on board having this ironic joke together. And isn't it fun? Uh, I think the film looks like trash. I think it looks like garish, headache, trash. Um, and I'm sure that's the point because everything's the point with this thing. It's ironic, don't you know? Um, no, nah, I think it's going to suck. Um, I'm happy to be proved wrong, but I think it's going to suck. And I will say, I fucking hate this bandwagon. This fucking put your own, make your own Barbie poster because what it is is, right? It's just a, like an avalanche of people queuing up to tell you and show you how unfucking funny they are. Here's my gag, and it's not funny. <laughs> you know, it's like that fucking Friends thing, right? Remember when, like, Matt LeBlanc was on the reunion show, oh, yeah. 
and he looked oh, he looked a bit Irish. Yeah. He looked like an Irish he looked like a bit of an Irish meathead. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's hilarious, isn't it? Well here's that joke two thousand more times. I think the problem with anything that goes viral and that's supposed to be funny is that I have to have my go. Yeah, and then it, if it goes viral, most people aren't funny. Yeah. So therefore an unfunny person will start saying it. And then there are funny versions of the joke initially and then yeah. That's the thing, right? Like this is the sad truth of it all. Most people aren't funny. Am I funny? I can be. I'm not saying I'm especially great. I'm not a comedian. I don't have those skills. I'd like to think I'm witty. Maybe I'm not. But most people aren't funny. And when something like this com- just becomes like a thing, it's a fucking factory of suck. And it's like, here we go. Here comes this fucking next person, your unfunny fucking prick friend. You know, you're like, great, here we go. Here it comes. What's he going to say? Oh, good stuff. You nailed it. Five likes there. Hope hope that was worth it. I hate it. Um, it's the, Like I say, it's the same thing with the Matt LeBlanc thing. It's the same thing with the Catherine Hahn winking thing. That was a terrible thing. See, the problem as well, right? It's one thing, like Twitter, obviously, which is just the worst. We, we know this. Like I've said a million times. At least you can fucking, you can mute words on there. You can mute accounts on there. You can't mute an image. And so you just get fucking avalanched by it over and over and over again. And I've seen people be like, oh, well, fine, here's... No, 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 sorry. You're not above it, mate. You sat down to fucking do it. And it wasn't funny. But everyone's everyone's in on the joke, right? It just drove me insane the last two days. You can't get away from this thing. I can. I deleted my Twitter. <laughs> Smart move. Yeah, yeah I, I genu- like this week was... It's on Instagram as well, man. I haven't seen very much of it, thanks. People walking down the fucking street. With, with cutouts. Giant <laughs> homemade posters. Cut that will happen, I'd say. It's like day of the Triffids. Watch, watch Halloween this year now. People will be dressing up as, uh, as the announcement. It's like not that. as bad as the movie Air... Air what's it, power washing the film. Film's... Title logo, into, yeah, the into, the, title, yeah. Yeah, into the ground and Dublin. <laughs> My hot take is that somehow gentrification wouldn't have worked out how it is. <laughs> um, I kind of want to see that movie, even though I think it's going to be terrible. But I, um, I saw someone say it's Gentleman Six, but it is a film where Ben Affleck is a supporting role, so of course it's a perfect masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, that works for me. Uh, the Last Jewel. So Dua Leap is in this movie, this Barbie movie. She's playing a, a, a Barbie who is a mermaid. Great. Uh, she's also going to be in a film with Math or with uh, Henry Cavill. A Matthew Vaughn spy movie called Argyle, which is coming out this year apparently as well. So, yeah. Will she be good? I don't know. I think it means that we're just not getting another album for a while, and that makes me very sad. Oh, no, this is going to be a ca- The Barbie thing will be a cameo. She'll be on for like three seconds. Yeah. But, like, she's doing another film as well. Yeah. I want another future nostalgia. I will have nothing bad said about that record because it's so good. It's a record. I don't think anyone has said anything yeah. bad about that I know, but I just want to make it known right now. So good. Also, best gig I was at last year. Wildly Incredible. successful pop album future. I just want to say, okay, computer. Like, <laughs> I won't have a bad word said about okay, computer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know you, you, you clowns have, have... No future nostalgia, man. Come on, <laughs> hot takes on Loveless by my buddy Valentine. I'm, I'm just going to stand up. I'm not afraid to say it. It's a very good album. Uh, speaking of very good albums, St. Anger by Metallica, oh, let's right? let's not. Do oh this again. You're right. It's called Stanger. I do apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, my headline here is He's Madly in Literature with You because mm. James Heffield of Metallica has announced details of a new book all about his guitar collection. I, I, can I interrupt you there? Yeah, I, when please. I saw there was the 400 page coffee table book. Yeah. 
It's a, it's a four hundred page coffee table. Okay, I remind you that's the Seinfeld episode when he makes a coffee table book about <laughs> coffee tables. I watched an episode of Seinfeld today. It was great. Mm. That's enough about my afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, four hundred pages. Well, like this would be better as a coffee table book. Do you really want to read four hundred pages of James Hetfield talking about guitars? That'd be like a lot of photography, right? Just I'd like one so. of those kind of things. I think that like for the Fairweather collector or like someone who's a Metallica fan, I can see it being worth having something like this because. I was, um, I think it was like Christmas, maybe last year or the year before or something. Uh, you guys got me a lovely uh, Studio 54. Oh, yeah. Coffee table book. And let me tell you, it has pride of place alongside my vinyl player in my house. And it's a great piece of thing to have as someone who is like madly into disco and stuff like that. So, yeah, I see the merit. I love it. Oh, I'm, I love a good coffee table book. I'm very happy for James Hetfield. Are you? Well, <laughs> let's let's just get to that in a second. It's called Messengers, the Guitars of James Heffield. It details the Metallica frontman's entire collection of over 40-plus guitars, revealing the story and significance of each within his life and career. According to the book's technical description, sorry, no, description, he shares the emotional... The technical description no, of the book. No, 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 it is made of paper. I, <laughs> <laughs> Hetfield shares the emotional and technical elements of the chosen tools that have shaped his singular musical Capital journey. T, capital, <laughs> capital C, capital the T. emotional and technical elements of the chosen tools that have shaped his journey, including exotic instrument, vintage, vintage Gibsons, and custom one-offs. He also reveals many studio secrets, Adam, including the key amplifiers and gear that sculpt his tone and create his sound. Yeah, for like the the heads who are like really into the, you know, the big guitar heads, I think they're going to love so, something like this. I also think the name is Messengers, right? That's the name of the... Mm. I think that's a great name for a song about a musical instrument. Is it? I think I do, yeah. A, a book about a musical instrument. Like, sorry, it's a, a, the, the name Messengers is a great name for a book about musical About guitars? Yeah, I do. But James so. Heffield's guitars. Are we saying the guitars themselves are Messengers? Yes. <laughs> What what amazing essential message? <laughs> Mind blown. Uh, well, e each featured guitar is accompanied by lush museum quality portraits by acclaimed photographer Scott Williamson, exhibiting intimate details one can only see if holding it in their own hands, alongside Heffield's deeply personal reminiscence. Yeah, I think that I like that a lot. So this comes uh, out on the seventeenth of October, right? I need to just check something here because I got an Instagram DM off uh, Heffield. <laughs> wow. Want my book, Dave? By the way, I need five hundred dollars. <laughs> Imagine. No, I wish. Uh no, Glenn Bollard, great music photographer, friend of the show, and he said, Have you seen the price of that book? And I went, No. That's like a hundred quid or something. Eighty quid is the cheapest. Fucking hell. <laughs> and there's a signed version for how much? Oh. If I was to fail the guess, are we talking dollars? I Glenn did not disclose a currency. Okay, two hundred and fifty. Mark? I'm going to go for a 312. The answer is 750. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Listen, no, no amount of Sharpie ink is worth that much. Like, it's not. So return to sender, is that what you're saying I, with this messenger listen, book? Listen, I wouldn't, if it, if it came to me signed, I'd be saying, why did you spend that much money? Get a refund. You know, like, it's, I like the idea of the book itself. I think that's like, that price is insane. Um, both for the regular version and for the signed version but look I like the idea I've, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid it's, a, it's a nice idea I have a prediction about that book that in early October he'll have an interview with Zane Lowe 
where they sit and after each other on a couch. But he will talk about the technical and emotional journey of each of his guitars. And Zane Lowe will be the most excited in his life about this, the technical and emotional journey of James Hetfield's guitars. And it'll act like it's the most genius thing. And I'll watch it. Yeah, me too. I'll probably enjoy it. <laughs> Are we all excited about the new Metallica album, which lands next Friday? I mean, it's sounding pretty good. It's sounding pretty good. So far, right? 72 seasons. I haven't heard any of it. 72 songs. 72 minutes. There aren't 72 songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the singles have been genuinely promising, Mark. But uh, as we move to the end of the news section, let's talk about the fact that uh, here's a new one that Carlo Malacco sent to me about half an hour ago. Diddy, formerly known as Puff Daddy, has been forced to pay Sting uh, 5,000 US dollars each day for the rest of his life. So there you go. What's... Oh, because of the the song. Yes, which is that song? fitting into our into our top five as well? Well, it could be. Yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. we'll see. But so basically, uh, the hip hop icon was forced to pay the ongoing fee after sampling one of Sting's tracks without permission in 1997. Remember? Did he uh, away without permission. Remember they did "I'll Be Missing You" for Notorious B.I.G. I mean, he probably like knowing P. Diddy, he probably just he, he knew, but he probably just fucking did it anyway because he wanted to. Like he's one of those he's one of those lads who's just like whatever. I'll do. De- uh, no one can touch me. Yeah, the uh, know, the sample, of course, comes from the police's stalker anthem, Every Breath You Take. Um, apparently, there was an interview with Sting in 2018 that confirmed this, but P. Diddy, or Diddy as he's now known, was doing a new interview with someone, and it was kind of put to him, and it was like, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, someone, like, put it up on Twitter, and... They said, Diddy reportedly pays $2,000 a day to the artist Sting for sampling the song, and Diddy quoted this and said, nope, 5k a day. <laughs> Love to my brother, artificial sting. So <laughs> clearly not a problem. I love that it makes it sound like it's not like he's paying whatever a year. He's like literally 5,000 every day he deposits in the bank. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, up to him as like a shady business deal but he gives him in a brown paper bag yeah, every yeah. day. Cash only. Because Sting is just like, this is what I want to do. This is uh, this is my kink. That is a much more like, I'm like that's much more like kind of Sisyphean punishment mm. where it's like, I need you to physically deposit this in my bank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you, I need you to get up, leave the building, he go never, to your bank, then go to my bank. He could never go on holidays. He could never do anything. Yeah. Like, it's completely fucked up. So, every, lastly... Every breath you take, Dave. Lastly in the news section... $5,000. Finally in the news section, uh, Daft Punk, ending explained. Uh, Thomas... Bangalter? I don't know how to fucking... How, how do you pronounce this guy? Bang, Bangalter, I think. Bangalter? Yeah. Bangalter, yeah. yeah. One of Daft Punk has opened up about his career after Daft Punk because I think he's got new music out himself. Um, they split, obviously, like, was it last year or the year before? Um, he said, Daft Punk was a project that blurred the line between reality and fiction with these robot characters. It was a very important point for me and Guy Manuel to not spoil the narrative while it was happening. I love technology as a tool, but I'm somehow terrified of the nature of the relationship between the machines and ourselves. Now the story has ended, I felt it interesting to reveal the part of the creative process is very much human-based and not algorithmic of any sort, which is interesting in this kind of ongoing AI nightmare we're all living in. So, you know, grim. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I mean, it's true. Is that going to get worse? But it's also kind of ironic because sometimes when they sampled stuff, they weren't always... Um, Upfront about it. Or yeah. coming with the information. Yeah. Or at least they would... No, they make some great music, but they also were a bit lazy about it sometimes. Well, he says, My concerns about the rise of artificial intelligence go beyond its use of music creation. Yeah. Uh, in Daft Punk, we try to use the machines to express something extremely moving that a machine cannot feel, but a human can. We're always on the side of humanity and not on the side of technology. As much as I love this character, the last thing I would want to be in the world we live in in 2023 is a robot. Yeah, that is kind of depressing. Um, yeah, and it, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, if I, today I saw, like... 
what was it, yesterday they had like someone that did a list of like all the, the the voices that AI can produce now, and it's like flawless now. It's just absolutely. I don't know if it's flawless. People keep saying it's flawless, and I don't know if it is. It's not obviously far off, but yeah. I hate the ongoing AI thing. I hate it. I hate that people are so obsessed with it. I hate that it's going to take away a lot of people's jobs. Yeah. Um, I'll probably never get to write copy for anybody ever again. Yeah. But also, I just, I just don't I, like. I, I don't find it interesting. There was that thing like on Twitter. I think it was like a week ago, and it was like, "Here's ten, you know, virtuoso directors, you know, and here's yeah. what their films would look like, based on, you know, like through it." And I'm like, everyone was like, "Oh my god, this is incredible, the possibilities." And I'm like, "This looks like shit. This doesn't even look like them. It's just like really, there was, like there was just, it was so remedial, and people are way too quick to fucking bow down to this, and I just don't get it." Yeah, I saw it as well. It was terrible. Well, I saw mostly. I saw people. I saw parents. It was probably the niche of people who I follow saying how terrible it looked, and it, it was like it was just like it was like the Wes Anderson one looked ridiculous. There was like there was a Kurosawa one, which is like, or was it was just a black and white photo? Of, there was like, a Tarantino one, and like yeah. someone had blood on them or something. I, yeah. I was like, come on, this is the future. Yeah, this is where we're going. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, where we're going is to the top five. Yes. Time to get grim. Time to get morbid. <laughs> it's top five songs for the dead. I did like a... That was very sultry. I liked it. I was going for like a Halloween kind of thing, but I got a bit like, you know, I don't know. I liked it. Love Lauren Radio mm. DJ. Mm. Um, yeah, so death. I mean, like, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like, it's part of life. Mm. You gotta you gotta talk about it. So take it away. <laughs> <laughs> because I was obviously... <laughs> so, so very, very, very insistent as we established that I really want to talk about... Um, and not avoid our own discussing our own mortality. Um, it was something I, I yeah, yeah. Oh God! I mean, like what you kept you, when I asked you at the start of the show, I thought I'd have a better answer, and I, and I, I think I just thought it was the idea behind talking about death and songs about death is that there is there's a rich emotional element there to, to it, and and whatever we can think about, whatever the it's not. I mean, we were you're every time we do t- discuss top fives, you're always worried about and understandably about, you know. How do we define this category of what it is? How do we define what it is? But I, I'm, I, I'm. Everything you ask me, this, I'm always like, oh, well, I kind of prefer the idea of like whatever the individual responds to, whatever the, it means, is fine. Um, like I don't. Like, I assume you never get fans being like that shouldn't count because whatever reason. Do you ever get that? Um, well, first of all, music is subjective, is what you're saying. Uh, second of all, not, um, so not music. The, the the choice is subjective. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, no, I, no, no one's ever like hammered me for it. I, I, on occasion, some people have been like, "Oh, come on!" Like you know, but like, no, nah, not really. Um, I mean, you're welcome to you know at Han Ready Dave on Twitter, Instagram, but I mean like. Mm, 
I, I, I've heard people like have kind of private arguments about the top five sometimes, and who knows, maybe their argument will be like, I'm not listening to this one. It's fucking grim. But you should stay, because it's going to be interesting, I think. Um, Can I ask you a question? Of course. What, it, what was your response? What, what was your feeling doing this this week and when I suggested it and everything and, and to the point of like, yeah. My feeling was that we probably wouldn't have enough time because this kind of came together late in the day. I mean, like, I will admit that I had another guest lined up who pulled out and I was like, Mark, can you please save me? And you did, thankfully, and I appreciate that. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're second best. You're not. You're number one in my heart. You know this. But like, I was like, fuck, that's a heavy topic. And like, was, is it really going to be enough time? And I thought we were going to do this kind of movie one, which would have been a lot easier, quote unquote. But then who knows? Maybe that wouldn't have been. But I'm dancing around the kind of existential question here. Um, the weird thing is, I didn't really think about it until like much afterwards. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, and I was kind of like, I was like, does Mark realize that he's like asking me to talk for an hour about like death <laughs> when he knows that I'm still very much grieving the loss of my own father? Which spoilers, by the way, that's going to be fucking featuring because how could it not? Yeah. But I do think, and like, like I, I kind of was like, I was like, what? I, I, I was like, wow, the balls on this man. Um, but I mean, like, no, I, I think it's a really interesting topic, and like, it's one of those things where, like, maybe we don't talk about it enough. We we dance around it, you know, and like, and songs help us dance around it, right? I mean, songs whether they're written for someone in particular, mm. or whether they're just about the concept of death or whatever, like, you know, that might be a way for us to kind of confront it. Because like, 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 I'll I'll sit here and I'll say it. I have death anxiety. Mm. I've had that since I was a teenager. I remember one day just like looking in the mirror and being like, you're going to die one day. And I, I'm so freaked out by it, so rocked by it. Mm. And I'm rocked by it right now and I still have it. Like sometimes I'm going to sleep at two in the morning and it's like, guess what, mate, mm. someday. But that's like, well, you can't you can't live in fear about that kind of thing, you know? Strange relationship. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I don't have that many people in my life who have passed away. And obviously like, you know, for any new listeners who are friends at Mark, who are like, that sounds like a, like a fun thing, Mark, on a podcast. Let's listen to that. Um, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, you know, and to be fair, like, you know, I've danced around this kind of stuff before as well, and I've even said it on the show, and I've said it to people and such, and it's like, no, fuck it, I'm just going to sit here right now, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about the death of my father. My father died in January of 2022. I've talked about it on the show numerous times, and sometimes I'm tired of apologizing for it, and I shouldn't apologize for it. Nobody should. Nobody should be scared to talk about these kind of things, whether it is a personal experience they've had in their life or how they feel about it in general. And I, I will say, I'm actually quite grateful for the music that does exist around this subject. And also, like, some of the best films I've ever seen, you know, involve it. It's wild that we were talking about, like, John Wick earlier on, where, like, <laughs> John Wick has killed, like, 500... And, like, it's like, that to me is, like, that's, like... The separation of that, where it's like, well, that, well what does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're just like, that's a person. Like, like that's a, that's a human being who who has a life in this weird universe, and they're just fucking dead. Mm. Gone to the bullet to the head, gone. And like, you think about films like Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood movie, and he, it's got that amazing line where he says, "Hell of a thing, killing a man, take away all he's got and all he's ever gonna have." And I sometimes like like I get caught up in that even just watching these fucking movies. I'm like, the death of a character in a film can be the most haunting thing ever in a TV show because you build up an emotional attachment to them. But it's all media. It's all like a way of I gotta figure. It's always a way of just confronting this thing. Yeah. And I do think as well, like you know, as long as I'm being heavy on the subject that I didn't pick, by the way, <laughs> um, I really didn't. Mark did. It sounds like an excuse. <laughs> hey, Mark, I want to t- talk about, you know, my dad and stuff. Would you mind? Uh, no, no, no. You picked this. But, like, uh, I think it's a fucked up thing that, like, I don't I don't know this because I've never been a dog or a cat. Mm. Stay with me here. Um, <laughs> animals, animals don't have knowledge of death, do they? 
We um, do. Human beings do. And you got to live with that your whole fucking life. And that's just, to me, it's just like, whoa, that's that, that's a big deal, isn't it? That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to place on someone's shoulders. And like, I don't know. I just, if I have a point here, it's that I find death terrifying. I have two things to respond to that. The first one is your John Wick thing reminded me of that great joke in Austin Powers when the henchman dies and yeah. the family get the call. Like that, you know, like, because <laughs> obviously in all these movies, millions of henchmen die. This one guy is like a family and kids. It's very good. Secondly, I would say with the, the knowledge of mortality, obviously it's a very, it's an existential terror, but there's also on the flip side of that, you know, in a, in a, not in a cheesy way, knowing death is there is also a great advantage because you know you can value the day the day to day. You can you know the value of it because if animals aren't aware of it, I think animals are aware they die because they, I think their their animal relatives die as well. I'm not sure how, how conscious they are of that. And I love that this is where the conversation is going. But I do I do believe that knowing no having not having knowledge of death is a good thing. And I think death. Life of death is with death is a better than life without it as well. Okay, that's nicely put. And lastly, before we kick into this top five, you're going to go first. But like yes. in approaching this topic, did you exclusively focus on songs written specifically for real people who have passed away? Are fictional characters on the table, or are songs about death in general? My position is that they are all on the table, but all my songs are about real people, or or attributed, or dedicated, or tribute, or they're about the person themselves. But they're all on the table. I, I have no... So there's no fictional characters here? No. I almost picked a fictional character one, but mm-hmm. I backed out of picking uh, Hospice by the Antlers, because I was like, it's just too much! It's, that's... Uh, I would I might have vetoed that, Dave. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't fucking blame you. I actually was like, nah, this is too much. This is just... It's, it's one of the greatest songs of all time, but I was like, it's just... It's too much. Mm. It's too much. Yeah, there was an artist, I'll probably... Just in case you picked him, I won't say it. I didn't pick because of that as well. Uh, on one of my... I'll mention them probably in one of my picks. But yeah, once again, similar. if you are a new listener for whatever reason and you're and you're still with us, thanks, by the way. Uh, second of all, top five, I don't know what Mark has picked. He doesn't know what I have picked. And of course, if you if you like, that's a great concept. This one's a bit heavy. There's so many of them in the podcast feed. Hit that subscribe button. Go back through them all. But we're going to have some fun with this or we'll, we'll have some levity. <laughs> I don't know. There's no laughing. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm just going to say that laugh. right now at the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And don't fucking get it twisted, right? If you're going to laugh, go listen to anything else. Okay, Mark, please kick it off. Okay, so this is my for my number five pick. Um, let's just think, kick, take things off. It's you know sonically, it's a it's a it's a happy song. Um, I, I, I stress just the sonic part of it. Um, this is by an artist who kind of has uh, alt pop, maybe we call her now, and dream pop as well, and she's kind of. The last album, especially, was a big breakout record. She also wrote, wrote a book centered around their first, what the same subject as this song. Um, so I'll let Adam take it from there. was In Heaven by Japanese Breakfast off the album Psycho Pump. Um, I feel like at this stage, you know, people who are aware of Japanese Breakfast, she people kind of, be, not more more so, less so through her music, more so through her the book, a memoir she wrote called Crying at Hmart. I haven't read it, but it's going one of those books that it, it, I think it knows, knows so many people who have read it. And obviously, uh, Michelle's Honours, her mother was uh, in 2014 was diagnosed with stage four cancer and Sadly, died six months later. Um, 
she was in a band at the time uh, called I think Little Big League and she basically left the band went home back to Eugene, Oregon uh, yes which well, um, she went back to Eugene where her mother lives and she took care of her for those six months and basically also to be there for her father as well who had to deal with um, deal with the deal with the cancer as well and, and you know um, and th- this song is the opening track off that album and it kind of sets the stage very quickly. I know it's set the sonically, it's very breezy, distorted, like indie pop. Um, and musically, you know, it, it kind of sounds like it's up in the clouds. It's called In Heaven. And, but it, the subject matter, of course, is her facing up to her mother's death. Um, and, you know, I think the, she's doing a kind of clever twist, the kind of irony thing here where she song, it's a, basically a song about wanting to believe in religious faith and, religious faith when faced with death, you know, if you're someone who doesn't have that and it's a very human thing to do after someone dies is to want to believe that that, that the aspect of it is there. I don't think she does. And I think <laughs> to the, the kind of the airy beauty of that song complements the, the attempt and desire for that belief, but of course she doesn't really have it. Uh, I'll read a quote from what she has. She says like, when my mom died, people from my dad's generation would come to me and say, she's in a better place, she's in heaven. People from my generation, my friends, they had nothing to say. They didn't know what to say. Uh, there comes, they come to these things. Uh, <clears throat> these things are difficult to talk about. What happened to psychology? I was reading today about repressed memory, and it seems like a fact. So she was saying, like her friends, basically were atheists, and they didn't have the same thing kind of vocabulary that her parents' friends did. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting idea of generation gap with the nature of grief, which is kind of a thing that I think for our generation have. Um, if you believe in all that, that's totally fine, of course. Um, but you know, lyrically, you know, she deals with that. She opens with the idea of like. I'm trying to believe when I sleep, it's really visiting my dreams like they say the angels do. If they say that angels do, she, so obviously she wants to believe that that apparition she sees in her dreams is really her mother, very human. And she really captures that very well, the kind of, that desire to want to believe. And again, the song is just a re- gorgeous song, gorgeous chorus there you can hear as well. And like it opens with like, she really captures like the, her mother's absence very well, how it's a, a, phys- a physical presence, which sounds like an oxymoron, but she, it opens with the dog walking around unsure of what's happening in the house because the dog doesn't doesn't know that there's no, there's no mother there anymore obviously because you're talking about what you're talking about it fits in well what you were talking about earlier about dogs and animals <laughs> knowing whether death is there but this dog knew there was an absence there and I think it really that is that kind of dichotomy between wanting to believe and the airy nature of the song and, and the crushing reality of, of what she feels post her mother's death Hey it's that dog Yeah it's that dog I'm quoting Resident Evil 4 by yeah. the way because Mark and I are playing Resident Evil 4 and we're laughing at some of Leon and his dialogue in that mm. and there's a moment when he, he, a dog comes back to help him and he literally goes hey it's that dog It's, that do- it's a wolf Leon like, <laughs> So stupid He doesn't say the remake though does it? I, no I don't think so I mean, if, if he did I missed yeah, it yeah. playing the remake at the moment which is scary and fun um, scary and fun much like death no uh, not really scary for sure uh, yeah no that's a gorgeous sentiment a great I, I, I like Japanese Breakfast Live I must get around to reading that book but as I previously discussed on the show uh, I find it hard to read <laughs> too many distractions um the idea of some kind of afterlife and some kind of communication, that's obviously something I've been thinking about quite a bit in the last um, 16 months or whatever it's been. I, you know, I hate sound cavalier. I don't mean to. I'm just bad at maths. Because, um, like, yeah, I, I'm, I've never been one for... I don't believe in heaven. You know, I, I just... I wish I did. I, I wish there was some fucking proof of it. Yeah. But there are these weird moments where you're like, is that a thing or is my brain just... Con-, you know, is my brain chemistry just going in a certain direction? Like, I mean, I was home for... 
for Mother's Day there a couple weeks ago, and you know we were walking down to the, like was going to, myself, and my brother, like took my mom out for lunch. And we went down and we were walking down the street, and my mother has this thing where like you know if a white feather comes along, that's my dad, like you know communicating in some capacity, and I think that's I think that's a fairly kind of popular one, like a white feather. Mm. And we were walking down the street, and like a white feather just emerged, uh, and she bent over to pick it up, and she said like, "Hey, you Johnny," and I swear to God, man, it broke me. It broke me. It broke me for a couple of reasons. I think one of those reasons was I want to believe that's him, you know, but I know it isn't. Mm. And I had a day as well where not long after he passed, I was in my room and while I was listening to a song that he liked, like it went outside my window from like super overcast to this actual beam of fucking light bursting through the clouds into my room. And again, I'm like, that's just the weather, <laughs> you know, but I'm like, but in that moment I was like, hey dad. You know, so it's like, like, I think those moments are, even if you were so devout in the other direction, like, it's interesting you said that thing of, like, if this thing happens to you, you would be much more hopeful, I guess, or at least willing to kind of be like, come on, you know, like, mm-hmm. let's, let's go. I think those things are, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I do think that, like, those things, if they give you comfort, and if, even if you know, that's okay, mm-hmm. you know. The feeling is what's real. Exactly. Yeah, yeah 100%. Those, yeah. Thanks, man. That was nice. Um, okay, number five for me. Um, kind of weirdly optimistic one, but, uh, you know, I can be weirdly optimistic too. Let's go. Of course, do you realise by the Flaming Lips? Um, I've never been much of a Flaming Lips fan myself. I like what I like, you know, and this is top tier. Um, yeah, I mean, like this one, like I've read some kind of quotes that attribute to this to being like it was written. Like I believe Wayne Coyne, the frontman of this band, I think his father passed away some time before this. I think he had died before they made the Soft Bulletin. This comes later, I believe. Um, but I think his father's death was on his mind when he was writing this. It was also at a time when he was a member of Flaming Lips was struggling with heroin withdrawal and he was trying to kind of help him through it and thankfully that person is alive and well today as far as I'm aware. Um, and I guess it's just that thing of like, the I love how nakedly explicit this song is. Like I love, you know, the music is euphoric. It sounds like heavenly. Like it sounds like you're going to heaven. You know, it sounds like like it could be the music that plays you in the fucking elevator that goes up if it does exist and in fact you take an elevator. But like, just that kind of, I remember the first time I heard it and the first time I heard just like, just that just that line, you know, like, do you realize that someday, you know, everyone you know uh, will, will die? Um, I was like, wow, okay, that's that's pretty fucking, you know, brutal, <laughs> you know? That's pretty, like, we don't, we don't say those kind of things, do we? You know, you, like, you don't admit that kind of thing. You don't want to think about that. It's going to ruin your day. But, I think that there's merit in confronting that and I think that there's a beauty in trying to put a different spin on it, you know, and like, you know, instead of saying all your goodbyes, let them know you realise that life goes fast, all kind of stuff. I'm a huge uh, proponent, um, increasingly so, but I think I have been for a while of um, tell the people you love that you love them. Like, I think it's the most important thing in the world. And I think that people are scared to say, to say that they love them, that they love people, that they love people that they clearly fucking love. And it doesn't have to be the greatest commitment of all time. It doesn't have to be like a huge romantic love declaration. Like, I love Adam, 
he's sitting there right now. I love you, Mark. I do. I mean, I love my friends. I love you too, buddy. Thanks, man. Um, but like, and I'm not saying, oh man, look at me. I'm so fucking enlightened. You know, I'm not at all. I'm still very, very. I'm a wreck. You know, who isn't? But I just like it can be tough to say that to someone and not hear it back, especially when you fucking know. You're like, well, if this isn't love, <laughs> you know, what is it? You know, and I think that there's, I think that plays into death. I think it plays into your perspective changing on things. And even like, you know, I was, I was you know, again, I, I will bring this back to my life because I can't not. So, you know, if this is too heavy and too personal and too much of a podcast for you, listener, sorry. But like I was home there at the weekend and, you know, my friend Josh was home from Canada and, you know, rare opportunity to see the guy. And it was nice and it was fun, had a great time. But when I got home, like, you know, kind of, I guess, like, you know, fueled by a, a bit of alcohol in my system and just being in my family home, like, I mean, there's all these photos of my dad now and they're inescapable. And I just found it really hard. Like, you know, I literally just stood there both both that day sober and then that night with a bit of drink in me or whatever. And I just fucking teared up. Like, I was just like, there he is, you know. And there's one amazing photo of him in particular that I was just like, yeah, that's him, you know. Look at him. And I remember going into the living room, I chatting to my brother. And I said all this to him. And I said, I said, I, I got really upset just looking at those photos today. And then I just fucking lost it. Like, I just broke the fuck down. And my brother, who I've had a tough relationship with over my, like, in my life. And, you know, he'll acknowledge that because he has to. <laughs> um, he got out of his chair and he came over and hugged me, you know. And I wept like a fucking baby. And that's, you know, he and I had kind of patched things up before dad passed away. But... I guess it's kind of like something to try and cling to now. I don't know. This song, like, it just, it puts me in a good place. I, I think it's actually a really, like, just beautifully honest song. And I, I've i never fully quite grasped the Flame and Lips thing. There's just too much of it for me. But in these moments, I'm like, fuck me. You nailed it, man. At least I think you nailed it. You know, I'm no expert. Who is? But I think, like, like Mark, <clears throat> excuse me, like Mark said, if you feel that way, that's all that matters. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, like, kind of matter if they did or not if you feel that that's the way it is then they did you know I just think it's a super uplifting song that confronts like the most tragic thing about us it's funny isn't it how like how the dichotomy of the music and the and the lyrical content can sometimes just create that pure alchemy of the triumph of something like that you know and like I think that's like a nice metaphor for the fact that you know Maybe it's not really to be feared. You know, that's just me, I guess. But You can't do anything about it, so yeah. why fear it? But also, like, where possible, which is not always the case in so many cases, but, like, where possible, death should be a celebration mm -hmm. of a person and the life that they led. And that's what that feels like to 100%, me. 100%, yeah. yeah. It feels like a victory in a weird way. Yeah, it's interesting. <coughs> Great song. Uh, it's the opener right in the album, right? It is, yeah, yeah on Yoshimi. Yeah, you mentioned that he died. I, I when I was researching for this, I I only found out that he admitted a few years later that Soft Bolism was a really influenced by his father's death, which I didn't even know because I listened to that album loads of times. I, I I watched a whole documentary on Pitchfork of a documentary about that as well. He doesn't mention it as well, so maybe it was too hard for him for a long time to admit that. But he said that was a real big influence, and I think this song, yeah, it, just like I, I see these two albums in, in tandem as well, really back to back, and they're really both the the kind of weird. Where the, where the where the band went, and again, yeah, I think I think the weird, uplifting but weird schizoid electronics stuff that's going on as well in it. That, uh, both you think about this, and you think about waiting for Superman and stuff like that, and and uh, winning for the prize and stuff like that. That the, it, there's a kind of there's an off kilter like 
it's up there happy songs but that has an off kilter edge to them and I think I do realise one of them just like it's it sounds quote unquote happy but there is a, there is an off kilter edge that I think is what kind of gives it its endurance as well especially when it's a song about death and it really captures that that kind of the bittersweet nature of a life where that ends you know no matter how happy life is, it ends. That's there's a bit of sweet reality to that as well. Yeah, um, couldn't have said it better myself, Mark. <laughs> so what have you got next? Uh, my next pick is an artist who released an album could be a few years ago that I, I think you know that I, I have a, a lot of time for. Um, it's Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, it's Morrissey. Yeah, no, two um, nights in Dublin, by the way. Yeah, and ends two nights in Dublin last week. I was like, wow, who's going to that? Me? No, I'm not. I am not. I'm not listening. Um, yeah, so similar to the last one, another. Uh, mother with terminal cancer again. I'm great. <laughs> I'm two for two so I, far. I sense a pattern developing. I sense yeah. a pattern. Well, I'll get wait till I get to number three as well. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm two for two with the terminal cancer. But this is someone who, very different to Japanese breakfast approach, probably and to the minute um, but had had his own approach to to devastating news. And here we go. Was uh, believed by Eamon Dunes off the album Freedom. Um, was my album of the year, whatever twenty seventeen? I, I couldn't. I bad. I feel like seventeen, but I could be. I wrong. feel like twenty seventeen. I'm very bad with years. It doesn't really matter. Um, but yes, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was uh, Damon McMahon, Damon McMahon uh, of Eamon Dunes fame. Now um, he had a couple albums out under the Eamon Dunes moniker band. One of those things where I can never tell if it's a band or a person, but. Um, and he was recording this album, and he basically felt it wasn't ha- wasn't vibing with it, what was happening at all, and just scrapped it and started again. And just when that happened, his mother was diagnosed with a terminal cancer, and he had basically said that that greatly influenced what when he started again to do the album. This greatly influenced everything that went into it. Um, but you, if you just listen to the album without that context, you probably wouldn't know because it's so abstract lyrically, uh, going through the whole thing, and even like, but you know. He he mentions about how, unlike the last pick, where you know Michelle's honor was really close with his with her mother, and it was it was a really it seemed like an uncomplicated loving two way loving relationship between a, a mother who loved a child. This and I'm not saying Eamon's mother loved loved him, but like a much more complicated relationship. And he says that here is my mom is not like Mister Rogers; she's a pretty hard living person to this day. Uh, and that was kind of an unpleasant thing to grow up around. When she got sick, none of that changed. For a long time, I judged that. I held a grudge. How could you do that? How could you be so appreciative? How could you be so unappreciative of life? Don't you know what you're doing to yourself? Blah, blah, blah. I gradually realized, what do I know? It's just as good a methodology as any other. I saw that there's actually some selflessness and self-destruction, in her case anyway. There's something free about it and I could learn from it. That's kind of what the song Believe is about. So yeah, he's basically using the song as a kind of... To it, using the song as an exercise in acceptance. Like the album itself was kind of influenced by this painter, Agnes Martin, who kind of, and the mother rec- uh, cites a, 
a quote from her at the start that, about the vacant mind and it's kind of like the first thing that comes to your mind all thoughts are just stuff that comes to your mind and like that's what basically what it is Like, un, and he kind of took that approach with the lyrics and just sat with the guitar and whatever came out and he would refine them obviously after the fact but whatever came out he would choose to be his lyrics but this is this, uh, of, this is the, I believe is like the centrepiece of the album I think it's still think it's the best song um, you know and, it, and ultimately it is a song about accepting but it's acceptance but it's about accepting you know his own mortality by accepting firstly his mother's but also by accepting firstly the life that she led, which he sees as one, she was always a hard, seemed like a hard person who wasn't always easy to get around and seemed to, as he said, self-destructive. And he was saying that he found that very anti-life, so to speak. But he kind of thought that if he, he, if he accepted the lack of control he have over her life, he could probably accept her death too, in part of it. And you know, the song is like this gorgeous, like astral folk kind of metronome washes over you and it follows into that kind of idea of acceptance. You know, this kind of, this the song that just kind of flows through you like in a Buddhist way, not, not in a hippie way, but just kind of like, and it follows the kind of abstract nature of the lyrics. You know, it's not always clear if he's singing to himself or is to his mother or to who he's singing to. Um, but, you know, he just, at the, at the, it seems at the end he's saying, it's, it feels to me like he, it's his mother talking to him. Now, she wasn't actually dead when he wrote it, but she was, he knew she was dying and she has died since. But, he, you know, just it seems like a, her talking to him, be, be strong, thick-skinned. Her heart stopped. Her heart started racing. Her hips start moving. When things go black, I got you. She'd say, she'd say, keep steady, do it. Don't stop, do it. And that's, it, it's such a simple, you know, refrain at the end. Just He's just saying do it and you don't know if it's the mother talking to him or him talking to his mother to pass or mother to just, go on with the career and there's something very the whole song captures this kind of this vibe this kind of like waves washing over you in a very cathartic way of, 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 of something that is like trying to accept something that is unfathomable your parents death and him taking that approach to which I find kind of that kind of him just having that acceptance toward it all I find that kind of moving I don't know. yeah this artist uh, so it's Amen Dunes Scott conscious that Maybe not everyone here knows him because I didn't know him until you fucking introduced him to me years ago. So it's Amen as in like Amen, the prayer, yeah. and Dunes as in Dune by uh, Frank Herbert. Um, so yeah. Um, plural. Yeah, <laughs> plural. 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 Yeah. Amen, Dunes. Um, I, like I say, I never heard of him until... You, I remember you were raving about this artist. Like, mm-hmm. what is it about him? And I must confess, I, I need to tune back into his frequency a bit more because I kind of didn't and I was like this is really good Dave and I just kind of ran away from it yeah I mean he's kind of an acquired taste I mean this album did was his breakout album I mean I will say like <clears throat> it got like what's the album called again uh, Believe oh sorry the album's called Freedom the song is Believe and um, I guess what, what I resonate with him is is his kind of atypical approach to kind of songwriting none of his songs they're kind of they're kind of languid a lot of the time and they, they, they kind of have it's the atmosphere he builds around his songs and his kind of odd vocal stylings as well which you know, might be for some difficult to take, but I think all that adds up to this kind of very distinct artist who, I don't know, like, you know, he's he had he has a couple albums before, but they're also very good and some incredible songs on those albums too. But this is the first, I think this is the album that it really comes together the most. And I think he, I don't know, I, I would say ultimately it's, it's it's about his, it's it's just about the way, his weird song structure and and his his weird kind of all you know what they call astral folk stylings I don't know I don't know it just really resonates with me it always has um it's it's kind of my shit I guess if, if I have to say I don't know why that is but astral folk stylings yeah yeah are, are you Mark on well that's shit. what they, that's what he's that's what he's in the pretentious genre is put is put upon him all the time and least this album is called astral folk all the time. I don't know what that even means <laughs> but um I don't know I, I I would I would tell anyone to listen to 
Freedom by Eamon Dunes. It was, I love it that much. Like I've I've listened to it. I listened to it so much that year. I've listened to it since, and I think it's. I think ultimately it, it, it's 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 kind of like it's kind of so abstract that you can find what you want out of it. But like ultimately, it's it's with that context of what it's about, and with with, it, with its kind of freewheeling kind of loose song structures and 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 the way, as I said, it washes over you like that. It will wash over you, and that and it gives you and it's 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 kind of inspiring and hopeful. But even though I couldn't tell you always, always what it's about, but I find it just through the music, just through the just through the soundscape, Dave, and uh, that's it, it affects me in that way. And I don't know why, but it does. You, uh, you, I mean, like that description was so eloquent and passionate that you could be describing Yarl. <laughs> why don't we have some Yarl for my number four? It is, of course, Eddie Vedder. It is Pearl Jam, and the song is Love Boat Captain, which comes from the album Riot Act, which I remember buying it when I was in school, and I was so excited. And in the end, I don't think it's that great of a Pearl Jam album. It's got some good stuff on it. Uh, I Am Mine, which was the lead single. This is Love Boat Captain. And, um, yeah, it's like it's a really personal one for, for, for Eddie Vedder and for the band because uh, it references the 2000 Ross Kilda tragedy, the Roskilde Music Festival, uh, which uh, took place in, I believe, Denmark? Yes, Denmark, yeah. Yeah, it's Danish Music Festival, and Pearl Jam were playing, and there was a crowd crush um, during their set. Unfortunately, nine people lost their lives in horrific fashion. And so on this uh, on this Pearl Jam song, Love Boat Captain, that came out a few years later, uh, Eddie Vedder pays tribute to, as he refers to them, you know, he said, lost nine friends will never know. I think it's just a fucking really, really nice thing to say, like in the midst of the horrible tragedy. But as you heard him there, like I, I think you know, we've had our phone in the show before, knocking Eddie Vedder for his uh, melodrama. Which, let's be fair, there's plenty of it. But I grew up listening to Pearl Jam in my formative years when I kind of started getting into bands, and I absolutely adored them. And I think I loved just how raw and angsty this all was. But I do think that Vedder genuinely does have the ability to confront those kind of human tragedies and you know difficult moments in life I mean like I think you know that line there like you know it's an art to live with pain mix the light into the grey it's, it's fucking beautiful like you know lost nine friends we'll never know two years ago today um, and you know if our lives became too long would it add to our regret and the young they can lose hope because they can't see beyond today the wisdom that the old can't give away hey constant recoil sometimes life don't leave you alone Um Pearl Jam, I think, have always been very, very good at kind of mixing the dark with these kind of, you know, upbeat rock stompers in a way, you know, not quite, you know, Billboard Hot 100 rock radio necessarily, but there's a lot of life under the collar with this with this act. And I can't imagine what it must be like to be confronted as a musician or any kind of entertainer with some kind of horrendous tragedy that's unfolding in front of you as you're trying to just, you know, commune with people. And then to have to, you know, put out a fucking memorial. Well, I didn't have to. You know, you could just move on with your life. But Pearl Jam is that kind of band that has these kind of very, very hardcore fans. And it would mean a lot to these people to be honored in that way. It's a fucking tragedy. What more can you say about it, really? But, you know, I think of other Pearl Jam songs, you know, 
a song called Light Years, which is gorgeous. It's more about, it's more of a general kind of statement, you know? And just the idea of, you know, trying to make sense of it all, which, uh, you know, I think Eddie Vedder, for the most part, like, you know, we talked about it even though I'm talking about black, like, I mean, like, it's just, it can be skyscrapingly emotional to the point of, like, overwhelmingness, and, you know, it can be something that you can step back and kind of have a bit of a laugh at, but I do think that there's a genuine kind of poetry to what he does. Did you ever fuck with Pearl Jam? Uh, yo, I, I used to love 10 years ago, but I, um, I, the song Yellow Led Better, I think I played, I, that's one of my favourite songs ever, and I, I would think anyone who's anti-Yarrow would listen to that song, because, like, that's a song where, like, the emotion of his of his URL. <laughs> it's not a term I've ever heard before your episode, by the way. Um, it, it, we didn't come up with it. It definitely yeah. pre-exists. Yeah. Yeah. But it, and that song like that, the emotion... But we will really, popularise it. ...really rings through to his performance. <laughs> and, 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 and you don't... You don't champion it. You yeah. don't even feel like laughing at it in that song, for example. Um, I, I did fuck with Pro Jam. I was really into 10 for years. Um, I think 10's the only album I know about them. Um, but like... Okay. I'll consider making you a playlist because yeah. they are that kind of band where it's like I, I overdosed on them. I was like, I've just heard them too much. But... You know, they do have those delicate numbers. I mean, like, whether it's this, I mean, like, there's uh, Last Kiss, which is a cover, but it's quite a good one. Man of the Error, it's a fucking gorgeous song. Like, I mean, it's and plays at the end of Big Fish. And let me tell you guys, if you've lost your dad, approach the film Big Fish with caution. <laughs> like, it's gonna, it's gonna fuck you up. So, yeah, that's my number four, Mark. Uh, yeah, so... Keeping in the trend, um, I am three for three on Dead Mothers. What are you um, doing? <laughs> well, I at least didn't pick Dead Fathers, Dave. Yeah, so, that's I mean, true. Yeah. That was actually... I do actually have a dead mother in my top five as well. And I should know, by the way, my mother's alive. And also, God, we're not looking to, you know, if anyone's lost their mother, yeah. much love. Yes, you know, this is not... Uh, it's more, I think, just the parade of, of the pattern here that's yeah, emerging. Yeah, I think so. it, musicians sing about dead mothers more often than dead fathers. It, do you think so? Is that is that, like, quantifiable? I Well... This is the only study ever done by this list, so... Okay. <laughs> like, um, no, I have no idea. Um, so yeah, next, as I mentioned, Dead Mothers again. Um, probably maybe the most famous Dead Mother album. Um, I would be surprised if there's a more famous one. And um, I didn't pick the, maybe the obvious song of this album, but maybe I think the most emotionally retching song of the album. Um, for Great, me, thanks, anyway. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Got you covered, Dave. Got, and the listener. Um, so I'll, I, without further ado... City of Eugene getting a second outing on my list already. Uh, the song Eugene by Sufjan Stevens, of course, the album Carrie and Lowell. Can um, I just jump in here and say that it, it actually, it's like a cheat code to use Sufjan Stevens in any kind of top five books about <laughs> sorrow and grief and melancholy and loss. I, I, I kind of feel like you should almost be disqualified for this. Uh, it's you, too, I told you I didn't pick you, hospice. You could, yeah. This isn't as well. I could have picked Casimir Pulaski Day. So this is what. I, okay, this is a perfect segue into what I was saying earlier. With the song <laughs> I did. I was going to pick Mount Erie, Real Death. Okay. I was yeah. going to pick that album. I was like, that is just too it's much. Too much. <laughs> like, the, like the like the songs are about literally him sitting in a room eleven days after his 
wife passes. And it's an incredible cancer. artistic expression, course, by the way. Of course, but, but it's just it, it's really, just too yeah. raw yeah. for me. And I haven't really visited that album much. No, not at all. It's so like, tough. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, and I will say at this juncture as well. I think it's an incredible thing yeah. that people can actually steal themselves and construct these things. And that Mount Erie album. Uh, is unbelievable, um, and it's amazing. It's a great thing yeah. that these that this art is put out into the world. But at the same time, you have to, you know, sometimes really, really broach to these subjects. I mean, it, it gives them weight, but it's not, mm. it's not future nostalgia, Adam. Nope. Can't just throw it on, you know. Certainly cannot. Now a lot of these are active listens, and yeah. like with the antlers, and particularly that record hospice and like knowing that record and what it is is just I remember when I went to see it devastating when they like. played the Sugar Club and they played it was the anniversary and I remember putting up on on Instagram on my Instagram story I like put up the Wikipedia summary of what the album's about and I was like going to see this live tonight and I got like <laughs> 10 replies being like what the fuck are you doing and I was like it's unbelievable <laughs> Anyway, sorry, back to <laughs> yeah. Sufjan. Uh, back to Sufjan. Yeah, back to Sufjan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another so- segue to Sufjan, like, even before this album came out, he had a very, very famous song about another, someone who died of cancer, Casimir Pulaski Day, which is great a song. great song. Yeah. Incredible song. Well, so there's some reports that that person didn't die, uh, although I don't know how true that is, but all, either way, it's a devastatingly great song. But yes, of course, carrying low, the, the myth of this album is kind of, it's reached proportions, I think, of like, forever, 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 forever ago, or like, blowing the tracks in that like just that the myth is so gargantuan it's like almost encompasses the album itself like it's 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 outgrown the album and the music itself not that it should because all three of those are great great albums um, and of course the story is that a, so Van Stevens had anyone even before this album even before she passed people fans of his known how difficult his mother was his entire life anyone listens to something like Romulus so she was you know bipolar and unfortunately a schizophrenic she suffered from drug addiction and substance abuse and um, and in 2012, she died of stomach cancer. Um, and for much of her life with those, with those issues, she wasn't obviously, she wasn't the, the, the best caregiver that he, 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 he needed for, you know, any child needs. And he, she was, she often abandoned him. She was at the, at the very least neglectful, at the very worst, emotionally abusive. Um, and it's, it's tough. And I meant similar to Damon, Damon Dune's song. It's, it's a very, very complicated grief. It's a very, very, somebody dies. And it's, I always, I, only researching this, I always thought like she died a year before the album came out, I, my assumption. But it's interesting that the album came out in 2015. She died in 2012. He had three years of processing this. Very different to the Mount Erie thing where that was very quick. Same with Japanese Breakfast. But he like sat on it for a while. He didn't know how he felt about it initially. And I think it, it only hit him more and more as the years went on because it was such a confusing kind of feeling. Obviously, obviously, any death is, 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 is a whirlwind of emotions. But like, I think when it's someone who maybe in life didn't give you what you wanted can be very difficult. I'll just, again, if you had a quote, they always talk about, this is Sofian, they always talk about the science of bereavement and how there was a measurable pattern and cycle of grief, but my experience was lacking any kind of natural trajectory. It really felt sporadic and convoluted. I would have a period of rigorous, emotionless work and then I would, go, then I would be struck by deep sadness, triggered by something really mundane, like a dead pigeon on a subway track. Or my niece would point out polka-dotted tights at the playground and I would suffer some kind of cosmic anguish in public. It's weird. I was so emotionally lost and desperate for what I could no longer pursue in regards to my mother, so I was looking for that in other places. At the time, part of me felt that I was possessed by her spirit and that there was a certain destructive behaviours that were manifestations of her, pos- of her possession. So he was worried that he would fall in the same patterns, patterns as her, even though, you know, probably not, probably just anxiety, but understandable. 
anyway, so when I was picking this song, you know, the obvious would have been Death of Dignity or something like Should Have Known Better, you know, with its, you know, uh, you know, he talks about regret. That song's about he felt like he should have reached out more to his mother and, and but also that song ends on a happy note and, and Death of Dignity is obviously a more immediate after the moments. And then something like Fourth of July, which is maybe more de- even depressing than this, is about like, it's a call and response, imagined call and response between him and his mother, which is peppered with loads of, terms of endearment like you know my little hawk and my little dove and all those which is really really devastating but i think eugene is the song that i think distills everything he's trying to get across so distinctly in a couple of rhyming couplets even not even the whole song and it's just so direct i mean the song the exact the what, what the quote we heard there from him in, in the in the song you know lemon yogurt remember i pulled at your shirt i dropped the ashtray on the floor i just wanted to be near you you know, it, it's it's everything. It's it's because like, the whole album is, is him trying to. What is he trying to say? He, realistically, he what he that's what he wants to say. I just wanted to be near you, and that's what he wanted for his whole life. And he, he, now is him realizing that they didn't what he wanted. He didn't even have in life. He definitely won't have it in death for her because she's gone. He can't even be near her in the emotionally distant way he had her in his life. Um, and it's very devastating. Um, and I think that is ultimately the primordial kind of desire he expresses throughout this album. It's like this just wanting to be near her again and like trying to get that across and but also someone who even in life was never always wanted to be near him like she mentions about in other songs about him her abandoning him at the video store and multiple times in life he, he did this to her to, she did this to him sorry um, and yeah it is it is a very sad song and but there, there is also his his. It is called Carrie and Lowell the album, and the next bit you hear about him talking about Lowell, who is someone he still has a working relationship with. He was his stepfather for five years, and he still runs his record with record company with him. So there's still a relationship there. So there's also an element of like he's appreciative of his, of his mother for bringing Lowell into his life because someone who seemed to have taught him how to be compassionate and how to be decent. He mentions that in a really biblical image. Who would have thought it'd be a biblical image in a Sufjan song <laughs> uh, of like his def- of the, he says putting like community pool water on my head like and then like he, he called me Subaru because he couldn't say his name properly because Sufjan's a weird name obviously um where they were anyway um and like that, that that he has he has thank he's thankful for his mother for that which is quite lovely and like he's able to at least say like she gave me him and he was it felt like he was very instrumental in like his formative years um but then it kind of goes the, the end of the song just kind of go back down to sad territory um, and he talks about uh, which might be the most devastating mic drop to a song ever he talks about being drunk and afraid and he says what's the point of singing songs if they never even hear you and that's obviously you might say that's a clunky way to remind hear you with near you which keeps coming up in the song but I would argue that it's not the case because it, if he had said what's the point of singing songs that you won't even hear the point is that she will never hear them. Be- it's not. It's about the songs will never reach her because she won't decide to hear them if she was alive. They won't. They don't even have a chance to hear you, because not even you'll, you'll. You'll. If you were alive, you'd try to hear them. They won't have a chance to hear you these songs because because she, she's dead. But obviously, they, if you were alive, they'd ha- you'd have to hear them like by accident because you wouldn't have reached out to them as well, which is quite devastating as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now that thing of like. Um, first of all, I will say that I love uh, a phrase that he used in that quote where he's talking about his own experience. I love. I love the phrase cosmic anguish. Um, and second of all, yeah, like that. That is a, that. That's a really true thing. Like you know, you have this build up where you're like, even when they're alive. I can't change it. I can't change the relationship. I can't make it better. It's not idyllic. It's not going to be. And then once they're gone, it'll just reignite all those feelings all over again. And it's just the frustration of a thing being right in front of you and being unable to just actually have that breakthrough. Like there, there are no, like it's not a fucking Hollywood movie. Uh, but if I may mention a Hollywood movie, 
Of all things, that trait. Uh, is it Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Dave? No, it actually isn't. Uh, it's, uh, it's John Wick Chapter 4. <laughs> it actually is. Because um, just on, on the literal sense, I will say, while I did, you know, with, with, with Keanu Reeves' shoot him up action spree, John Wick Chapter 4, uh, while I didn't love it as much as, you know, I wanted to, there actually is a really, really beautiful moment in it. There's a scene where he's, like, in a church and some Donnie Yen's blind assassin characters talking to him. And he says something like, uh, he's like, you know, do you, like, like John Wick basically, like, talks to his, his his dead wife, you know, and he's like, um, he's like, do you think she can hear you? And Keanu goes, no. And he says, well, then why do you, why do you still talk to her? And he says, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fucking, that's, oh, you, <laughs> God damn you, John Wick. <laughs> I came here to watch guys get shot in the head, you know, and I have this conversation with myself. But, um, right, heavy as fuck, Mark. How do you follow that? Well, thank God my next pick actually has, you know, a beat in it, for example. So <laughs> here we go. Number three. When the temple slows up and creates that new, new. He seems alive, though he is feeling blue. The sun is shining, man, he's super cool. They fade away, he slips into his white nikes. He smokes a clip and then he's on the way. To free his mind and search her. To free his mind and search Yep, yep, yep. It's Kid Cuddy. It's day and night. And um, first surfaced in 2007, but was released officially in 2008, I believe. Which I don't fully understand because I remember working in Extrusion and there was like the Crookers remix of this. Yeah, in the video he's working in we like, all know it. he's working in like a store. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that was the big like that was the big release of it, right? Like that was the one that kind of but like, was did, everywhere. But when did that come out? Because like I worked in Extrusion from two thousand three to two thousand and seven. Like Was he a MySpace artist? He, he was, was, yeah. He was. I don't know. That's going to freak me out now because this makes no sense. But maybe, I don't know. Point is, this is the proper version of it. The slowed down, less kind of, you know, poppy dance one. And like that one's fine. You know, it's a bit of fun. But um, this one has, you know, a bit more weight to it, I think. Very of the time, that remix, isn't it? Really was, wasn't it? Yeah, it's very like propaganda on a Friday night in Academy, you know, that kind of way. Like, you tell me, man. Yeah. Um, but um, in terms of what the song is about... Uh, Cuddy said in an interview with Complex in 2009, I believe, my uncle that I lived with passed in 2006. We were actually beefing because he forced me out of the house when I didn't have another situation set up, so I was bitter. I never apologised for it, and that kills me. That's why I wrote Day and Night. If he wasn't there to let me stay with him those first few months, there would be no kid, Cuddy. It fucked me up watching him go, but it was like, I have to fulfill this destiny now for sure. Things were moving, but they hadn't. Uh, they weren't solidified yet. I had day and night. We were just getting started, and I was like, "This has got to pop off." I wasn't taking no for an answer. So you know, it's that kind of thing of like, oh, you know, an inspirational thing, even though came out of a pretty acrimonious situation. You know, like that thing of you know, I never got to say goodbye, I never got to apologize. Those kind of regrets you have. I mean, what do you do with those? You know, like. Again, like I say, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that I haven't experienced too much personal loss. Um, but, you know, you do lose people along the way and you do wonder, you know, will it, will we have a happy ending in that regard? Do these things only exist in the fucking movies? Um, and I do love this song. I think, like, you know, it's not a, like there's more overt Kid Cudi music there about death. I mean, you know, he's been very open about his own struggles. He is, of course, uh, so often cited as someone who has kept people in this world 
you know, like there are literally, it's like, it's almost like a running joke, even though it's not a joke at all, but it's like a, it's a signature thing for him to be lifted up as this kind of Christ-like figure by a lot of his fans, uh, uh, you know, something he doesn't want to be, I don't think, in that regard, you know, I don't think he wants to be responsible for the welfare of a lot of people, but he, his music and his, his honesty and his emotion has helped an awful lot of people, including me, very much so. Uh, I love his fucking music. I get so much from it. Obviously, the Kids See Ghost album, I'll never stop talking about the effect that had on me. I remember very, very specifically the first day I heard it, the day it came out, and I was in a really fucking dark place. And it is, once again, a reminder of the power of music in that regard, how much it can actually genuinely lift a person up. So any chance I get on this show to shout out Kid Cudi, I'll take it. I still don't understand how this came out in 2008. I was working there. My brain's going to, like, I'm going to look this up while Mark hopefully doesn't play another stuff. He's like, gorgeous as it was. <laughs> I just don't know how I can recover. Please, Mark, no. <laughs> no, but this is my fourth dead mother. No, I'm joking. No, no more. No more. No more. No more, Sofian. Um, no, no more dead relatives. Okay. So that's that's the start. Um, you know, it's getting, the distance is getting better in my hey, Give us like uh, a celebrity or something here. Would yeah. you? Like, this is a minor celebrity, the person who died. Uh, someone you know. Um, someone you I like, know. someone the person, it's not personal. Okay, right. I hope not. <laughs> um, I'm sorry if you do. Um, no, so this is uh, a song dedicated to an artist who both me and you, Dave, like, and released uh, an album. Both me and you, Dave, like an album that um, I think grew in stature over the years. It was it was kind of a uh, it was got a kind of underground following in the mid aughts, and then it kind of grew in stature. But this is, and then this artist died obviously prematurely, and. The, uh, a fellow artist was so struck by it, they decided to p- produce a piece of music uh, in tribute to him, and this is it. Yes, uh, the song was He Would Have Laughed by Dear Hunter, the closing track on their 2010 album Halcyon Digest. Dave, do you know that's who that song is dedicated to and who it was written for? I do not. Yeah, it's funny. I, I didn't, for the first couple of times I heard that album, I, I didn't, I didn't, this is actually how I was introduced to the artist. So it's kind of a nice, a nice thing about the song and what, what, what it obviously intended to do. It kind of worked for me anyway. So that song is dedicated to Jay Retard. Jay Retard. Retard. Okay. Yeah. Right. With James Lee Lindsay Jr. Um, who I think you're a fan of as well. Yeah, yeah, Jay Reatard, I should say, the or E A T A or D. Just in case anyone thinks that we were being like the stage name of that artist, yeah. he was a punk artist, and it was Jay Reatard, which of course, yes, you know, don't get me wrong, not ideal, but made an unbelievable yeah. album in, in Blood Visions and died very, very young. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he made an incredible album and lots of other incredible music as well. Um, yeah, he was kind of like he made Blood Visions, um, and he made. Couple of an album after that, and he was in loads of like bands in, in as well um, before that, and with his partner as well. Um, and he made a, a lot of music for someone who only who died at age twenty nine. Um, yeah, and he kind of he kind of combined the garage rock of the like this people like the Strokes, and people like yeah that kind of early two thousands garage rock, um, and but also had like added a flourish of like 
hardcore punk to it, like like Husker Du and stuff like that. That at least on Blood Visions, like, he actually had lots of different styles. And and but like on that album, he 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 really he really kind of nailed that sound he was going for. It's, I think you had it on your best albums of the thirty minutes. If I yeah, recall. what is it like twenty something? Like it's so short. It's in and out, it's yeah. like sixteen tracks. It's right. insane. And it's very good. And it, it did that thing where like I think Pitchfork gave it like. When a contemporaneous review was like 7 out of 10 and like 2016 10th anniversary 9.1 like yeah, best of course, music yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I don't blame you know I don't think anyone gave it great reviews when it came out it got decent reviews but it just grew in stature um, um, but anyway yeah, very tragically he at the age of 29 he was found dead by his roommate um, and the uh, the presumed cause of death was cocaine toxicity a combination of cocaine and alcohol um, very sad but he was also he happened to be quite good friends with Bradford Cox of Deer Hunter fame um, and I think you know I'm not really quite sure how close they were I think they were quite close obviously because like they released I didn't only found this out in my research that they released a co-A and B side uh, vinyl one year of covering each other's songs so I think Deer Hunter covered Oh It's Such a Shame and I think Jay covered um, Fluorescent Grey um, so they obviously were quite close uh, that's the thing to go by but this song you know it's it's similar to the Eamon Dune song in that looking at the lyrics you probably wouldn't work out what it's about I think the title is very clever he would have laughed which suggests to me that like he would laugh at the idea of me writing this song for him he, yeah. the kind of guy he was he would hate the idea of, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's a tribute to him which I find kind of sweet and lovely that is lovely yeah and like it's funny because like <laughs> Jay died in January 10 was it? Yeah, yeah very good good memory yeah and he I was yeah. in college I remember being in college uh, yeah. yeah so I remember yeah. very specifically being like what the fuck yeah and this album came out in December so it had it very quickly turnaround and I, I was wondering like how how much of the song was done before how much of it was um, how much it was like just like late uh, you know how much it was like at the end we'll just decide to make it a tribute but I think I what actually happened was that Bradford Cox had went off by himself. They really did most of the album, so most of it was probably done. And he made he just went off to himself and basically made the song himself, recorded it himself. It's basically an Atlas Sound song, which is his solo stuff. And if it was an Atlas Sound song, actually, it'd probably be the best Atlas Sound song. So I think it's this is one of my favorite album closures ever. Uh, it's a you know it's again it's it's a weird song. It's like seven minutes. It's full of syncopated rhythms and. Um, it's never really, it never really finds deliberately never finds a foothold. It doesn't have any chorus really. It's it's a very strange song to close your album out, especially an album that mostly has like pretty no one's you know their the song structures generally aren't, aren't you know typical, but like you know it's a strange song album to end this album because the other songs generally do have verses and choruses. This one doesn't really seem to stick to any anything like that. It has like sections and it kind of reminds me that's Panda Bear songs, Bros. As well, um, which is kind of you know, move, it kind of, it's like a symphony almost. In a, if it's a pretentious thing, so if that's a pretentious thing to say about a rock song, but um, the lyrics are abstract, not explicit, more about the pain of kind of growing older, and like that typical of like, oh, you know, you you want to know when the good times were, but you, you wish you knew when you were in the good times and you're in them, kind of thing. But like, I think this song is given this kind of added twinge of like real tragedy with the fact that he what's probably spurring this on is him realizing that that he's using kind of his friend's death as a watershed for realization that that, that life he'll never get to grow older with this person yeah, who was yeah. very close to him um um and the other thing that's sad about it is like Jay, Jay's last record was actually a tribute to a New Zealand musician called Chris Knox who also died young as well it's just, so it was a weird very tragic chain of events there Watch Me Fall that was called yeah, yeah I was trying to remember the name of it yeah that's exactly it was Chris Knox um if, uh, who's another really good artist as well um, 
but it's less, it's kind of less about what it, what what, it, what Bradford Cox sings and more about the kind of the surroundings of the song and the sound the sounds that surround his voice you know kind of this bouncy synths this like really gorgeous moving kind of twinkly harpsichord thing I don't even I don't even know what they are to be honest and then there's like suddenly there's this guitar that comes in and it's like suddenly it's front and center in the middle of the production and it's really like jarring and but it's, and it's the whole thing is because of the context it's so moving and I I listen to the song probably more than most songs. And then there's the incredible ending to the song, which it has an outro, and it's 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 building, and it's kind of you get the sense of this like sweet conclusion to the song, and then soprano style mid mid outro it just cuts to black. It's cuts you, if you listen to it, you know what I'm talking about to the point where you know people said when they watched the Sopranos they said like they thought their TV sets were broken, and it was a whole thing. And I was like I remember thinking that's so stupid. But then when I first <laughs> downloaded this song, I thought I got a dodgy torrent because I was like. That wasn't supposed to be how the song ends. For years, I, th- I thought this was like a mistake in built into the, like into my torrent. Um, should have paid for it, mate. But, yeah, should have paid for it. Uh, <laughs> but it, I would have got the same experience because the whole, obviously it's it, it's piracy good. Yeah. Says Mark Conroy. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> can't afford it. Um, this emotional track about a dead person. Yeah, and of course it builds this gorgeous. I was going to pick it, but it wouldn't have worked really because it's it, it not only closes the song, closes the album. And it's mid outro and it cuts to black. And obviously it ends abruptly and it's frustrating, but you know, similar to a live cut too short. That's kind of the idea. Like it ends it ends mid prime song. And yeah. it's frustrating, but it's kind of meant to No, it's not perfect, man. I actually didn't even know the song existed, so I will be investigating immediately. Uh, also, everyone, please listen to Blood Visions by Jay Reatard. It's an unbelievable album. Um, okay, for my uh, number two, I believe, uh, I'm, on, I'm on the runner up, I think. Um, so uh, when it came, came to um putting this together you know this 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 tricky top five it was like okay uh did a bunch of research as you do and looked for some famous examples etc you know you had you had said before in advance that you weren't going to pick candle in the wind that would be one of them and like you know I, I had a list and i was like yeah some of these some of these some of those and then i was like wait a minute i was like dave there are two songs in your on repeat at the moment on spotify that you just can't stop listening to so this is one of them um it's featured on the show relatively recently, but now's the time to talk further about it. Thinking of children, I wish you could meet them. In a way, it'll feel like you were an angel in real So, um, yeah, I'm glad I was distracted there for a second when it came to just listening to that. I, I, I was checking that something was working technically on the desk because I get paranoid about that kind of thing, despite having Adam sitting there at the desk, you know. I should never doubt him. I'm doubting myself, really. Um, and I'm glad I got distracted because uh, I genuinely cannot, <laughs> cannot listen to that song, which is Goal of the Century by Gang of Youths, taken from the album Angel in Real Time. I cannot listen to the ending of that song, the last two lines of that song, without crying. I just can't do it. I can't fucking do it. It's been that way since I really kind of fell hard for that album late last year. Um, So if you go back to the end of year No Encore podcast, the best of from 2022, you will hear me talk a lot about uh, this album um, and this band, essentially, it's a long player uh, concept album about the death of the frontman's father, the frontman being named Dave. And I'm like, I swear, man, that album came out early in 2022. 
and I simply didn't even clock it. I simply didn't even hear it, know it, saw nothing about it. And I have to believe that my brain went, nope, no, 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 not now, not happening, no way. Stay the fuck away from this now. Do not touch this. Because I knew of the band and I liked them. And I was like, oh yeah, there must be an album coming. And I just, whoop, whoop. And then one day I was like, oh yeah, wait a minute, that came out. That came out then? Okay, cool, right. Okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll finally confront this. And like, you know, if you've never heard this band, you know, it's kind of Springsteen-y, you know, in a way. Like these are kind of big hearted rock anthems. And if the album is guilty of anything, it definitely overplays its hand. You know, like it's, it's probably three or four tracks too long. They kind of repeat the point here and there. And it's very hard in its sleeve and... You know, you know. I think that those are all kind of valid criticisms, but in a way, I just don't care because I think it's like it's just an incredible, uh, both love letter and kind of, I guess, call it of the guy's dad because, like, you know, it's that thing where it confronts the fact that he wasn't perfect and, in fact, had all these other things going on that he didn't even know about. But it closes on this moment of hope and just love, and it kills me. <laughs> it fucking kills me. Um, just that thing of like, you know, in a way it'll feel like you're an angel in real time. I'm, I'm, if I'm walking down the street, you know, any time of the day, I, 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 my eyes just go hot with fucking tears. And I love it. I love that that happens because I love the sentiment. I, and the sentiment is just so unbelievably beautiful and just so empathetic and human and hopeful and sad, like crushingly, crushingly sad. And I think as well, you know, with this album, and listen to it on, you know, regularly in, in like lately, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination thing because I think that there is, you know, the possibility that you lionize someone when they pass away. And like, you know, I, there are days when I do that with my father and, you know, you just, you, you push, you, you know, your minority report, wipe the, the bad stuff away. It's my favorite thing to do the wipe thing. I love it. Um, because listen, I mean, I love my dad, but it wasn't perfect at all. We had so many fucking rows you wish you could take them all away at the end, you know, but you can't. And I remember being there when he passed and before he passed. And I remember like, I don't even know if he could fucking hear me, but I, I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry for all the, all the stupid fucking arguments, you know, I didn't mean them. Um, and that's how you feel about it. You know, like you just, you panic. And I like that this album both kind of builds a statue of this guy, but also kind of scratches it a bit because that's what it should be. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I think it's important to to cling to the positive, cling to the love. You don't want to kind of reform something in your head and make it what, what it wasn't. But it's complicated is what I'm getting at. Everyone's relationship with their family is complicated and it gets more complicated when they go, I think. At least that's what I'm learning. And I just, this album has been so, it's been so helpful. Like it's been, I'm so grateful it exists. And yeah, there's a couple of songs where I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a bit of a generic one there, but who cares? Like, you know, I think there's just, I, I, I find it hard to even kind of communicate it because like every single time, and this is like this kind of big bill, big boomy kind of release song, but when it gets to that ending, I swear to God, man, I'm just like, I'm somewhere else entirely, you know? I think it's, I think it's so, so powerful and I'm just, I'm not going to stop listening to it. <laughs> For like 10 years, probably. It's just so fucking... It's part of me now. And again, listen, I mean... Would my dad be a good guardian angel? Probably not, you know? Like my brother told me recently... I probably shouldn't tell this story, but it's funny. Um, My, my brother was saying that he had a bad day recently and he like... um, 
he was looking for a sign, you know, he was doing, he was doing the thing. He was doing the, come on, if you're out there, you know, let me know and just tell me it's going to be okay. I think he was wearing like a jacket that he just got cleaned and a bird flew over and unfortunately defecated upon the jacket. And my brother was like, okay, great. Thanks. Appreciate that. And then a few days later he was out and he kind of was like, fuck it, I'm going to try again. And he was like, <laughs> this is going where it's going. Okay, I'm very excited. Don't know where it's going. <laughs> oh, okay. It's going somewhere much worse than that. Oh, okay. Right. So he was like, come on. He's like, if you're out there, you know, just please, please. I'm really struggling. Look into the heavens. And then another bird came along. I think it was a pigeon again. And this pigeon flew headfirst into the wall in front of my brother and flew down to like his feet and basically like just like twitched while dying and so my brother was like fine that's it no more I'm not I'm, like, I'm not I'm not doing it and I'm like what's happened like I'm like what the f-? so if you if he is out there he's like go away leave me alone you know but I if I got a point here and I don't know if I have one it's that I I still do love that cosmic idea you know like you do that don't you you're like come on you know show me something or whatever and I think with a song like this, just the kind of idea of, you know, I want you to still be out there somehow, you know, and still be a part of my life. You know, like, like that's, I, I find that important, even if it sure wasn't fucking perfect, even when they were, you know. So, yeah, that was a ramble. No, it was a nice one, though. Um, and, that, you know, if it's rambling, usually it's just like. It's like, the, as we mentioned earlier, the vacant mind, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Freeform thoughts or whatever. Uh, um, no, I think that the nicest thing you said there was, I think it's a recurring theme with the choices here. You said about the, we, we put people who die on pedestals and stuff like that. And, but, and like and then, but like a lot of my choices, like the people, the, the people who die, they're, they were, they were very clearly very imperfect people, which everyone is, but maybe some more so than others. But they, they all kind of did accentuate the positive I guess that's what they kind of ended up doing when they thought, when they thought back because I think you're just forced to and I think I think that's a very healthy human thing to do I think it's a I think it's a it's 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 it's, it's a comforting thought to that like that that when we pass there's your people there will accentuate the positive as well for you and for anyone who else dies it's, it's, if you can yeah I yeah, mean, yeah like, not yeah. everyone can not everyone can you know, no but and, it, it, yeah yeah I think to some people maybe you know but they're for the, it's comforting that they're for these people as well that's true yeah oh yeah so my number one pick um I mean, in terms of subject matter, it's kind of... Let me take a guess, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> is it a bit upsetting? You'd be, you'd be shocked to find the subject matter is a bit upsetting. Right. The sound of the song is probably my most upbeat song, though. Okay. Sort of. It's hardly like... It's. I mean, it's hardly like Mary Poppins or anything like that. But in terms of subject matter, it kind of gets um, maybe heaviest it could possibly be in some respects. But, I, but also, I think there's a, a, a hint of catharsis to it if, if that if that's okay to say but um i think i'll let the song speak for itself by Neutral Milk Hotel um, off the album In the Aeroplane Over the Sea um, I mentioned earlier about albums with like mythoc, myth, mythic narratives around them and this is definitely one of those albums um, uh, Jeff Magnum um, the 
primary songwriter and lead singer of Neutral Milk, Neutral Milk Hotel. Um, he'd only like this was the second album. He has they haven't released an album since really. Um, they kind of the band have effectively, effectively broken up. Um, and yeah, everyone knows this. I think most people who are even uh, some people are very averse to this band. I think even even those who are probably know this, have an idea of the story and the inspiration behind the album. I think when he was when he was recording or writing his first album, he wrote the, he read the entire diary of Anne Frank, and he talked about how afterwards he re, he he wept for three days, um, and it obviously had a huge impact on him. Um, and then he made this album that came out in the airplane over the sea, which was the contemporary reviews were weren't like glowing; they weren't, and they were good reviews. And there were some publications that put it in the top twenty of the year, but it wasn't really. It was a, it was a slow build cult following and it was really the early noughties when it started to get this this kind of mythic quality around it and it put the story around the album and as I mentioned it's inspired by partially inspired by the diary of Anne Frank some people argue that the whole album is a Anne Frank concept album I don't think it is I think it's deliberately obtuse and or abstruse or whatever the word you want to use and it's it's deliberately kept everything's kept at distance distance to a certain extent um, but this song I think unquestionably is like the one that like zeroes in on that influence uh, on 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 that that impact that she, he had on her. Um, I think I, I think he, the whole album is like lyrically, it's like it's very it's like it's hard to it's hard to get a foothold on because his his, his imagery is is so wild, and then you get you get hints of like what he's talking about, and I think it's why for for years and years people are still debating his meaning and 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 you know why for years and years some people are so averse to it as I mentioned, but I think it's a it's a great album. Obviously, I wouldn't have picked it otherwise, but. I, I think you know he his his you know he says it in, you know you know but then you know where to start with this like in terms of, of of what it's about and you know I think he reminds you of kind of Kurt Vonnegut a little bit um in his approach to it like Kurt Vonnegut is someone who you know Slaughterhouse Five it's a weird touch bump but it also dealt, dealt something horrible the bombing of Dresden and but also he kind of had these like weird surreal cosmic characters and imagery in it and I think and that created kind of a distancing effect and I think it was kind of a, a postmodern kind of thing of like using this kind of these postmodern flourishes to like try to explain something that was so unfathomable and I think Magnum is doing something very doing something similar he's not as comical as Kirfonagus but he's doing something similar in that he's using all this kind of cosmic uh, surreal kaleidoscopic imagery in while also talking about one well, of the greatest horrors known to man the Holocaust and Anne Frank and you know, it's a tightrope act like, that he pulls off. I think about the album, and, and it's amazing that he does, and it, it's crazy that he does, and it's so affecting. And you know, I think for him and Frank, obviously, and for a lot of people, she kind of became to personify, you know, the innocence of the Holocaust, the, the lost innocence, which is ridiculous. The entire lost innocence of the Holocaust itself, which is so ridiculous. But he all he's kind of aware of that, so he, I think he understands that she, the burden of what she represents. So to an extent, and he's kind of he's kind of trying to kind of again use that imagery of like something so dark and create a distancing effect. But he really makes you plainly by doing that. Without if he was just singing a song about like this is what happened to Anne Frank, and everyone knows she she died of typhus in the concentration camp. You know, you know, she mentions week before weeks before the guns and rained down rained down on everyone. So he died. She died in nineteen forty five, so close to the end of the war. Which you know, it's it's tragic enough, of course, that adds to tragedy. And but I like. I think you know, I, I, like yeah. So like you know, he's 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 so if he had just like done like a typical narrative about what happened, you know, it wouldn't have been as affecting. But the way he does it and the way he kind of imbues it with with this kind of with the mad imagery as well. Like, but like he, when he, when he's forced to make it really think about it, 
And I, I'll, just, I'll just let him speak for herself, you know. But then they buried her alive one evening in 1945 with Isha's sister at her side and only weeks before the guns all came and rained on everyone. Now she's a little boy in Spain playing pianos filled with flames on empty rings around the sun. And empty rings around the sun, like what is that? Like the empty years we live around the sun. And, and, and like he talks about how, you know, the earth looks better from a star. Like, that's right above from where you are. And it's like, you know, humanity is looks better from a distance instead or like the earth looks better from a distance but you can't see humanity and the cruelty it, and and it's sad to see the world agree that they'd rather see their faces filled with flies you know and you know again you're, you're forced with this really grotesque imagery and this kind of explosive sound of a song kind of folk rock even if you can call it that and i, I think it is this kind of thing of of, of trying to kind of so I think, I think, as I mentioned, like the the, the absurdity of that of the, of of, of the, the sound and the music and the imagery is all about kind of trying to comprehend comprehend the incomprehensible and something that's so incomprehensible that is like I'm forcing you to ruminate on obviously the the lengths of man's cruelty. But I think there's also a little bit of hope in there and, and trying to kind of view the the imagery and, and you're, you I really feel like you're flying through space with the spirit of someone and that's what this is and there's there's a kind of comforting thought in him trying to give that to her and maybe give it to anyone because it's also apparently Lucy about a friend who took their own life as well and they're, they're a sense of that and that's what the imagery and the, everything and it's he's not saying he can explain it I don't think he knows all, entirely what his words mean I don't think people obviously the people who do trying to work out what his words mean know either but I think there's some beauty to not ever knowing because it, it is incomprehensible you know you know what you just went through there <laughs> You went through what I ran away from because I was like, I'm not picking Nutramilk Hotel. No fucking way. How could I possibly even try and break this down? Mm. You've done a man's job, sir. Mm. Let I me didn't tell you. No one's successfully done it. Well, you, you did a better job than I probably would do with this one. I mean, like, I, I yeah, I, I toyed with the idea of picking Nutramilk Hotel in the airplane over the sea or Hall in 1945. Uh, astonishing songs. And again, it's just the lyrical thing is funny because it's like, I say funny. What I mean is a friend of mine put this on a mix CD from years ago and I was like that song rules but like without ever stopping to listen to it properly for a long time and I was like oh yeah wait hang on <laughs> yeah no astonishing an astonishing album um, and also yeah to, to bring it back as well to the um, I thought about like the publications and the reviews and such you got mm. remember that Onion uh, it was like Click yeah. or the Onion like headline and it was like ISIS has gone too far <laughs> they've given <laughs> Nutrimilk Hotels in the airplane obviously <laughs> 2 out of 10 <laughs> that's an incredible article and everyone I think it would give you a bluff lip to read that article because it's so funny the whole article is funny it's, I know sometimes only articles is just a headline but that whole article is very funny yeah yeah true true see we're laughing it's all yeah, fun it's all fun right uh, uh, incredible pick by the way uh, like an unbelievable number one and you know listen um, gallant effort to sum it up and I think you did a good job so thank you Lots of lots of things to ponder. My God, much to think about, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I just like, like I'm just like fuck. Is this like going to be like the worst? Like like in terms of people being like, you know, man, I know that was really good, lads, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> next time a sport one or something, which is like I don't know. I mean, like I, I'm I, I'm I'm I, I, I think this has been a really educational and interesting top five. <laughs> we should close it out with Leon Kennedy quotes. For the- we showed from Resident Evil 4, yeah, yeah. A man who faces death on the regular. Um, <laughs> however, uh, we'll be closing out with my number one. So again, it was like, Dave, you've been listening to this quite a lot, and I have been um, for quite some time, and I will continue to, and it's important. So here's my number one.
Shadow, that is uh, a band I fell in love with two years ago. The band are called Touche Amore. Uh, they released an album called Lament in 2021, I, I believe, and I stumbled upon it through a Pitchfork review, and I fell in love with it, and it was my album of that year. This song is called New Halloween, and it's taken from a different album, an album called Stage 4, which is, of all things, about the lead singer's death, or lead singer's mother's passing through uh, terminal cancer. What else? Um... Jeremy Bohm is the name of the singer of this band. Like I say, the song is called New Halloween. It is under three minutes. Uh, I can't stop listening to it. It has that kind of upbeat, quote-unquote, pop-punk thing going on in a way, but also is the whole album is about his mother's passing and the guilt he feels for not being there because I think he was on tour at the time, if I have that correctly. Um, so fucking raw. Like, so so brilliantly raw. But again, that kind of juxtaposition of well, this is the worst thing ever, but the music is very uplifting and commanding, I think, and, like, physical. Um, And I just keep listening to it all the time, and, like, you know, like, the lyrics of somehow it's already been a year, uh, you keep finding new ways to make yourself reappear, and, like, that's, you know, that's the thing, you know, of, like, you know, whether it's, you know, the sunlight coming through your window, or the feather on the ground, it's like, you know, or even just anything, like, I mean, I find it impossible to get through any day uh, since the uh, 14th of January 2022 without thinking about my father, it's it's just not possible, like, it's always active, and sometimes it's overwhelming, and sometimes it isn't, um, but there's that line as well, where he says, I hope you never leave me be. And that's the same for me. It's like as traumatic and as painful as this stuff is, uh, I don't want him to go away. Uh, even if it is a lionized memory, I don't want to, you know, I talked about it with my therapist before. He said like, oh, some people like, you know, get freaked out because they, they worry that they will one day forget what they sounded like. And I'm like, that's not possible. And, and already I'm like, fuck, maybe that is possible. I don't think it will happen. I don't want it to happen. But that is a tough thing. The idea of of remnants of people just kind of slipping away. Um, and even that line there, you know, I haven't found the courage to listen to your last message to me. It's such a fucking killer. Um, I don't have that many saved messages with my dad, but there's a couple. And, you know, on occasion, even an emoji kills me, you know? You're just like, it just takes on such a bizarre context, you know? Um, whenever, whenever the band play this song live, he updates the, you know, it's like, like, how has it, like, how has it already been, you know, in which case it could be like six years or whatever, so. But I think building monuments to these people is fucking very helpful and very important. And rather than be, you know, totally put off by the idea of like, well, here's this concept album, but, you know, I'm like, no, no, like, they can actually be just what you need, like, at that time. Granted, they can very much be really approached with caution, depending on what mood you're in, and everyone will find different things, but... I'm just really, really grateful for acts like a Touche Amore or a Gang of Youths to kind of confront this stuff in such an accessible way for me. Uh, I get power from listening to this stuff. I, I never, I never skip this song. Like it's always, like it's always in my ears. Like at some point during the day, like like the, 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 it's always the possibility of this coming on. And I think this band in particular, like there's just something about that kind of extremely raw expression. Just that kind of very fast-paced kind of, you know, kind of one foot in the hardcore, one foot in the pop-punk kind of realm. Just really, really works for me. And, you know, even like that album Lament, which I would have listened to and fell in love with before my father's passing, now kind of has its own kind of connection to it as well. Like, it's just very much... I just really appreciate the heart and the sleeve thing. I, I have someone who's been told... 
you know, my whole life that I'm too fucking sensitive, you know, including by my father, you know, like there's no point in lying about that. He told me when I was young that I was too sensitive and it, like it, it, it scarred me forever. It took me a very, very long time to ever kind of come to terms with that and to actually realize, no, no, that's strength. And, you know, he didn't really understand himself. He didn't really understand when he wasn't trying to hurt me. You know, it's just that kind of an example of yet another flawed person. But you're like, I don't know. It's just, I find this music to be super cathartic and important and never depressing. Like, obviously, like, look, they can be super downbeat in their construction, but like, I don't know, man. Like, they give me power. They give me strength. And I hope that, I hope that people who are listening to this episode, if you have, in fact, listened to the whole thing, I, I hope that there are songs that do that for you, that you can listen to and go to for comfort and will pick you up because, you know, I find this all very confusing at times. What I keep coming back to and what I kept coming back to the other day was um, I just think that my dad should still be here. You know, it makes perfect sense. He was too ill, you know, it was time, but it just doesn't feel right to me sometimes. And I think that that's just this kind of weird fucking, just this weird thing that you have to step in front of every day. Um, and I and listen, you know, whether it's, the people in this studio, the people listening to me right now or whoever, like I've, I've no shortage of people in my life who will listen to what I got to say about it. And I'm very lucky in that regard. And I go to therapy and I do, I do all those things. But sometimes like, you know, so like Nick Cave of all people who I don't have direct access to, sadly, but you know, if you're listening, um, my buddy Carlo sent me like uh, one of his, like, you know, the red hand files thing, which he, um, he wrote a thing about, like, some guy wrote into him about, like, his father passing away, and Nick Cave's words and response were just, of course, typically beautiful, typically amazing. Um, and my friend was like, I debated whether or not to send this to you, you know? And I was like, no, no, I'm glad that you did. Like, I'd much rather go through it, you know? And that's my own kind of way of dealing with things. I don't even know if that is dealing with things. And I don't know if, I don't know if the artists who write these songs will ever, quote-unquote, get over and holy fuck, like, what must it be like to have to get on a stage and carry these songs with you? I mean, maybe at a certain point it just becomes muscle memory. I don't know. I'm not a musician. I don't know. Mm. Like, you know, I used to play drums. <laughs> I love drums, but I never, like, went anywhere with it. But, yeah, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine, like, having to get out there into the world. But I think it's important that they do because they give you so fucking much. And that's our top five, everybody. <laughs> My God. I recorded a podcast before this as well. You know how tired I am? I'm exhausted. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. If I could just say one more thing about the top oh, five. Oh, please. Yeah, one more thing. Sorry, um, I, I don't want you to think. I'm not bashing it at all. I, I think it's a great top five. No, no, I'm I just like, are. fuck. Yeah. I, just thought there was, I just thought there was too many happy people around. And I was walking around. Everyone was so fucking happy. And I was like, they don't. What are they at? So I thought, especially your listeners, they're too happy. I'm it's like that meme is that they don't know what I pick for the top five for yeah. no encore this yeah, week. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, the plan is to like to hook this podcast up to like Tannoy's around the world. Yeah. And just play it on loop yeah, until people exactly. get miserable. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I want to say is but you said that thing about uh, monuments to people. I think what's nice about these songs and all these, all these picks, they're all people who, most of them are, all of them are people who wrote songs about people that they loved. It's just some capacity. Um, but I think it, well, I was also talking about how, you know, all these albums have myths about, about them, you know, and I think it's what's really beautiful about writing these songs. We always talk about, like, you know, you never read dead and the person is, you know, spoken for, the person's name is spoken for the last time. The last, but, yeah. Yeah. The last person who remembers the dead person yeah, dies yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And because these artists are wrapping these people up in their myths, in the myth, and the artists live, well, the artists live longer than anyone else in, in existence. Artists and, like, famous people, but usually artists in, in the contemporary world. 
And they're wrapping up these people up in their myths, and because of that, those those people live on longer than any of us because of these. You know, they may have died prematurely, pretty much all of them, but they get wrapped up in that myth, which is really nice. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a lo- that's a lovely sentiment, and uh, I'm not going to top that. So we'll leave it there, Mark Conroy. I greatly appreciate you coming in. Can we please do movie scores again next time? Yeah, best tear jerking scores or something. <laughs> <laughs> Saddest music ever used in a film. Top, five, top five comedy music, comedy movie scores or something. I don't know. I find quotes from the movie Awakenings. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, wow. Well, listen, I'll let you go for now. We'll get you back in when Arsenal win the Premier League or something. When you, you know, when you'd be buoyant. I will be. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Uh, Adam. Hello. Any last words, so to speak? <laughs> I wept. Um, I think that like that that top five. I think will certainly polarize. Yeah. With listeners, but I think it was probably one of the more interesting ones, in my opinion. Just like hearing it as a listener here in the studio before having to even touch anything, but um, there's like a lot of elements of clips that. I love that you picked and and a, a lot of elements of clips I loved that Mark picked as well and I th- but I think what I enjoyed most about it was just like both of your kind of considerations about the music and kind of the personal attachment to things around it and there was like cert- there's certain things not n- nothing like that hit the nail on the head and I'm very fortunate you know to which would that I haven't experienced lost to uh, you know the loss of a close family member like a parent or anything like that but there were certain things in there that kind of did hit home a little bit and like even now speaking about it does like it's not upsetting but it's like just I don't know it's like there's certain things I think that listening to you both talk about your top fives that have like made me I suppose consider things that are going on in my own life and things that maybe I can do to not have that big question mark hanging over well that's what we want to we want to confront you specifically yeah well congratulations and give you an existential crisis A plus plus summation Adam A plus plus summation Adam what you're saying is it's the best top five (laughs) (laughs) I mean no it's it's definitely up there and um, just just thank you guys for for putting in the work and sharing thank you on behalf of all of the listeners on behalf of all the listeners thanks for sharing your stories this week and for doing the hard graft and putting yourselves kind of out there like that. You can't speak on behalf of all the listeners. I am. <laughs> He's a listener. All the listeners. I am the listener, the okay. first listener. He is the first listener and the, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and the best listener, perhaps. Who knows? Anyway, listen, um, heavy one this week. Uh, next week on the show, Alvaretti joins us for a very different top five. So don't miss that. And don't miss our No Popcorn episode on Tar which is currently in the feed right now. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show. And we should be back next week with already. I say should be. It's already recorded. Bye. <laughs> My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Much love. Look after yourself. Bye-bye. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.